Welcome everybody to the Keen Gamer Podcast, the official podcast of KeenGamer.com. We're on episode 48. We're so close to hitting the nifty, nifty Luke World 50 episode, but we're not quite there yet, but we're going to stick with it. I'm your host for this week. I'm Sean Rabine. I'm joined, as always, by David Lazada. David, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing hecking great. How are you? Okay, let's watch the language. Okay, let's just eat up. <laughs> right. um, I was going to ask about the bee suit that you're wearing, but uh, I think we need to address the potty mouth first. But Yeah, well, Maybe. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what, what, what part of this ensemble you're sorry about, but you know what? It's you. I'm not here to judge. That's just a fringe benefit. And I'm also joined by Tim. Welcome back. You weren't here last week because... Thomas was here, and we have a very strict blood-in, blood-out policy, and when he sat in, you had to sit out. Um, but you're back. Those cement shoes he put on you definitely didn't keep you down in the water for long, so welcome back. How you doing? Doing all right. Been a little busy. I mean, well, really, the, the thing with Thomas is you got to meet your T quotient. Exactly. We can't have more than two people with a T in their names, so... One of you will be changing your name, um, and this is a great segue. People, if you want to you know, send us a question or a new name for Tim or Thomas, send it on over to timehoppodcast at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read it. might answer your question. And Tim might just go be by going by Gilbert this time next week. Fingers crossed. Well, let's start with T. Maybe... Yeah. No, that's the problem. We have two people with tea. We need to have oh, right. a lot of tea. I need to change so Thomas can come back, right? Okay. Exactly. Or, or Thomas could change his name. Or Thomas has to change his name. Exactly. It will be up to the listeners. We're giving you guys <laughs> the power. All right. We have a pretty jam-packed episode for you this week. We have a lot of interesting things to talk about. But before we talk about all those interesting things, we're going to talk about the uninteresting things that is our lives. And we're going to go ahead and start with Tim. Tim, what games have you been playing the last past week? few things I, I like i said i i've been quite busy this last week so i've been uh i've been i've been a bit of a no offense i've been a bit of a david this week which i oh, i say endearingly not uh, what do you mean by that you didn't play any games no not, offense taken tim i still love <laughs> it's okay you watch okay. a lot of anime no no anime just uh I, I played a few games, but just not not a bunch of them. Oh, okay. Um, maybe like an hour here and there of each. So I played the teensiest bit of Terraria this week. It's always a favorite of mine. Uh, I decided to do a uh, role play sort of thing. Ooh. So there's a a line of uh, it's kind of pseudo class of weapons in the game focused around throwing. So mm-hmm. there's like you can throw grenades, shurikens, knives, and later you get like crazier stuff. So, and um, I have been watching a bit of Gordon Ramsay recently. So, my genius idea was to role play as Gordon Ramsay and focus on sort of throwing weapons, which I guess was I, I the idea was like you know he. He gets in fits of rage and throws stuff Naturally. sometimes. So that that was my combining of the two things to to make that character. Um, 
I also decided, uh, it may be foolishly to play on hardcore mode. So if I die. Well, you're Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay right. is harder. He doesn't go at all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it was only fitting. Uh, plus I've never beaten the game in hardcore. And I feel like, you know, I owe it to myself to try, you know. There's a way to like, beat the game? I thought it was just like a kind of open-ended infinite the, game. Yeah, it, I mean, it is open-ended, but there's also like, there's bosses to kill. So basically, oh, so kill the last boss. Ball. Okay. Yeah, they, basically. Um, I, but other than that, I mean, it is pretty open-ended, but then there's that. Pretty much the main goal is like killing all the bosses. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, um, I, th- I actually might have talked about this a little bit, but yeah, so h- hardcore is pretty hard as, as one would imagine. I, I've managed to get kind of far. Well, not actually, not really. I beat like the first boss or the first three bosses. Um, and then I didn't even die. I don't think I've ever actually died by a boss. It was because of like being killed by a falling boulder or right. killed by a skeleton or a salamander or just other really stupid ways. <laughs> um, and then the way it actually works is that the characters that you play are in hard mode, uh, hardcore mode, and they're deleted. But the world itself is preserved, so you can go back, like you can start a new character and go back in that oh. world to play it. That's neat. So, if you have like, you know, a house and you have NPCs and different resources that you didn't have on your character at the time, because when you die and you have to reload, items disappear. Mm-hmm. So, you can start a new character, go back to the world, and at the very least still have the resources that are stored in your chests and stuff. So in that kind of um, way, it's more like a roguelite where even though you've lost the character, some progress that character made is kept for the next attempt. Right. But I am um, maybe a masochist because I decided to not take advantage of that and delete the world along with my character as well. So Fantastic idea. (laughs) Right? What could go wrong? So every time I die, I also have to make... I, I lose everything. So I had to start all over again with a new world. Um, and as I've died maybe like seven-ish times. And so, man, sometimes it, it just sucks. It's so terrible because I've <laughs> like just started to make some progress and then I just, it gets taken away. But it's interesting because I've never done this before. So it adds an extra, really an extra layer of challenge and intensity to the game that I haven't had before. And after playing the game for over a thousand hours, I think that's pretty welcome. Like being able to experience it in a new way. So it's been equally awful as fun (laughs) at the same time. So, but uh, I've taken a bit of a break from that from now. Uh, And I've been playing a little bit of Minecraft as well. Another old favorite of mine. They, um, they just released a new update to the Nether, which is hell, basically the hell dimension. Yeah. So they added um, a few new biomes, a bunch of new blocks. There's a new 
uh, well, kind of a reimagining of a, a enemy called the zombie pigman. It's now called a, a piglin. And they like, like gold and they hunt you down and stuff, but you can like, if you're wearing gold armor, they like leave you alone or you can give them gold bars and they'll, uh, you can like trade with them and they give you stuff in exchange for gold. That's pretty cool. Huh. Um, lots of new very, like atmosphere. very fairy tale aspect to it. It's like, it's a monster, but it has these weird quirks that you use. Like get yeah. rid of this goblin by putting a saucer of milk outside your door. Yeah, <laughs> something weird and like you wouldn't really expect it. It's just some sort of folksy thing to explain something mm-hmm. they could explain at the time. And it's like, hey, give some gold to the the piglin, and he'll give you things. Or yeah, he'll eat you if you don't do it. So, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, pretty much. That's that's exactly right. Uh, also, what's really cool is they've done a really good job in adding some more atmosphere as well. So now there's like, because before, like you'd go to the Nether. And it was like pretty quiet, pretty silent, which um, I guess in its own way is kind of terrifying. Like if you went to hell and it was just like dead silent, yeah, it'd be like kind of weird. But um, they added sort of like echoes, some not exactly screams, but kind of like that, all like that, or you can hear off in the distance um, and just low rumbles and crackles and it's really cool and um like different like particle effects like there's uh, a, a biome you can go in now that has like that has like ash that falls from there that's really awesome hmm. i actually just found that biome today for the first time um and that, that was just really cool to see because the nether has been pretty much the same for probably like five or six years <laughs> they haven't really touched it so it's just, it's really nice seeing them reimagine it and add some, even some color, because it used to be pretty much just red everywhere, but now there's, uh, with the new biomes, there's like some blacks and blues and greens, and hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's really cool as well. That's so it. I've been, have enjoyed that quite nicely. Um, had a, I, um, I started a new world today, uh, and I had a really, this really awesome spawn. There was like a jungle that I started in, and then there was like a, a plainsy area with animals off to the side. There was a river with like fish that you can kill for food. Uh, then like pretty much directly underground, there was like this, this mineshaft structure, which basically has like ores and resources and treasures in it. So I'm really excited about that. I haven't played survival in a long time. Maybe like even five months. Like, it's weird because I do kind of play Minecraft. I do a lot of, like, creative mode type stuff. But um, I haven't actually really, quote-unquote, played the game, like, in survival in that way. Yeah, so survival kind of been... was always the only way I could really enjoy Minecraft. I tried doing creative. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is too much control. Yeah, <laughs> this is not... It's yeah, pretty it's... like if you want to, like, recreate Hogwarts or the Millennium Falcon or something like that, but... Yeah. For me, it's all about survival. Hmm. Yeah. I, I really, I enjoy both. I do love that creative aspect, but it is nice to have more like kind of a structure, um, and have like more rules in place. Like you can die and you need to eat and you can 
you need to go find resources and stuff like that. So yeah. it's been nice. It's it's always kind of therapeutic as well. It's just a kind of a chill game. So that's always nice. Um, and third, last but certainly not least, probably probably the best, honestly, is a game that I've been hyping up for the past two or three weeks. Uh, I have finally played with Gilbert. <gasps> David, are you hearing this? Oh my gosh. How is Gilbert? Uh, Gilbert is a cat. You play with the cat. Actually, you are Gilbert. I am Gilbert. You don't even play with Gilbert. You just are Gilbert. We're all Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I didn't. Ex- I mean, that is a plot twist. I didn't expect that. It is. It is. <laughs> well, it makes sense when it's called Play with Gilbert and you play as Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Odd. Yeah. But, um, what does Gilbert do? Well, I'll tell you what Gilbert does. So, well, when I first opened the game, it asked me a question. Are you a parent? I am not. So I said no. Then it asked me if I was 13 years or older, which I am. So I said yes. And then it notified me that, you know what? This, you know, just, just so you know, this game is kind of meant for kids. Might not be your jam. Might not be up your alley. So just, you know, it's disclaimer. Weird. That's so weird. Who would, like, start up playing with Gilbert? <laughs> like, I'm in for a mature experience. That's not. <laughs> and the game warns you, just so you know, this is for kids. You know? That's so bizarre. I've never heard of that in my life. That's strange. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. But once you got past all that, what did you do with Gilbert? Or as Gilbert, I should say. <laughs> yeah, so... Basically, there are, at least from what I could see, there were four levels you could choose from. There was a neighborhood, the beach, some house, specific house called Timmy and Tommy's. I I don't know. Maybe they're cats. Maybe they're people. Who knows? Um, And then the moon. So, of course, I had to go to the moon. That escalated quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Gordon Ramsay, Gilbert goes harder, he doesn't go at all. Yeah, yeah, so I went to the moon. And uh, on the moon, there's low gravity. There's, um, in the level, there's different collectibles you can get. It's basically like a sort of sandboxy type deal. There's um eight cats you have to go around and find, and then you, like, you run up to them and you meow. And then they're like, oh, hi. And then they start following you. Um, and you have to like collect all eight. And then there's like 20 or 30 so fish you have to collect as well. They're kind of like hanging around or they're like in these rings you have to jump through. Um, and then there is one like special fish, I guess, which I'm guessing is like super hard to find. Um, I literally, so I played this this morning for maybe like 15 minutes, and um, I was like, okay, I think I get the gist, <laughs> and I just, I pretty much closed it down, but um, on the moon, you have a jetpack, so you can like fly around, <laughs> fly around <laughs> as Gilbert, um, which was, I, I had to admit, it, that was pretty fun. I wasn't expecting that. But yeah, jetpacks are cool. 
I'd be afraid to use the jetpack on the moon because I'd be afraid of like shooting myself out of the atmosphere and just floating into space forever. This game sounds better than Last of Us Part Two. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> now, now that we know how playing with Gilbert actually plays, when that game Stray comes out, where you play as a cat that solves mysteries with robots, we'll be able to see how much of a clone it is of playing with Gilbert. Because clearly, mm. Stray is just a clone of Gilbert. Clearly. clearly. it's I mean, it's shameless, really. It, it's it's honestly grounds for legal action, but... Gilbert, Gilbert is just the benchmark for which we measure all video games now. <laughs> exactly. Beginning and future. <laughs> we're, it's all about Gilbert. Oh, you know what? As you were talking, Tim... It kind of reminded me of this dope ass game I used to play at McDonald's, um, and it, it was an yeah. Elmo game. Uh huh. <laughs> no, no, it was come an on. go back down now. I don't know. Like at McDonald's, they had the little PlayStations, right? And they had they always had a, uh, an Elmo game there. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah, they had an Elmo game, a Nintendo sixty four, and like maybe like Mario Kart. Oh damn! You got the good one then. I never had. No, that. like by me they had. I mean, growing up as a kid, they had the Elmo stations, and like you would take Elmo to the moon, and you would like you know Elmo's in a jetpack and shit, and he's like you know collecting all of these silly puzzle pieces or whatever. You reminded me a lot of Elmo, bringing back fond memories for sure. Gilbert, thank you so much. Well, that's a great segue. David, you have this Elmo game you played in your past. What games have you played recently, and how do they stack up to McDonald's Presents Elmo on the Moon? Well, they don't stack up at all, unfortunately. I mean, who can surpass Elmo? You no. know, Elmo's Elmo. Oscar just... the Grouch, but besides him, nobody. Right, exactly. I have been playing The Last of Us Part Two. <gasps> yeah, and... Obviously, it's not as great as Elmo or Gilbert, but it's pretty great. I liked it. I beat it. I did the spoiler cast. You can check it out. It's live. Uh, obviously, listen to it. Uh, if you have seen, have played the game or have seen it uh, to completion, yeah, I love it. I love the game. I, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's a masterpiece per se, but it's pretty close to it being a masterpiece. Compared to like movies like Schindler's List and stuff like that, or saying like it's it's the benchmark in storytelling for video games. Is that accurate or? Uh, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know. I think it does take a lot of risks, and it should be applauded for that in in the narrative department. Um, and the way they go with certain characters is very unexpected. Um. But I, I do understand how some people can see that as it being uh, very uh, a mixed bag, really. Like it not being that great in terms of quality because it, it, it might feel to them a little bit too jarring or disjointed. I personally thought that when when you're – I think that you only kind of get the full picture when you're done watching it or, or playing it rather. Um, and, and you kind of sit or marinate – uh, uh, regarding its themes and you kind of draw comparisons or parallels between uh, certain couples and certain uh, uh, characters and, and how what at what point they're, they are in their lives. Um, it, it's very interesting to actually have discussions 
and there's something to be said about that with other people who have played the game. It, it's very much a, a game made to to play uh, on your own and, and formulate your, your own opinion about it and then go to other people and talk about what you thought about it. Um, and the other thing I want to say, or two things I want to say, I love the LGBTQA plus representation in this game. They do it so well. And I really hope that games do this uh, more in, in such a way that it doesn't feel shoehorned in, in a way that it feels very respectful and it has meaning. Uh, it, it, this is particularly, I won't spoil anything, but it, it has to do a lot with the religious aspects of the game and and, and the cultish almost aspects of the game. Um, they really handle that quite well and, and respectfully. So I, I really do applaud Naughty Dog for for uh, for what they did there. Uh, not to mention, you know, Ellie being a gay character herself. It it's just they handle it so well. Mm. Um, and the other thing I want to say is people who are attacking Neil Druckmann and uh, Laura Bailey really get a life. I mean, I, I truly, sincerely mean that. This game is not on that level of. It does not spark that level of vitriol. It should not spark that level of vitriol. That you know, no, no artistic piece should 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 uh, you know make you or encourage you to go and, and attack people or even send them death death threats. It's it's just meaningless, um, and you're totally not understanding the point of the game in the sense that the game is about the cycle of violence and how if you don't stop it it's going to just keep going on and on and on and you're just going to keep giving into this hatred and you're never going to become a better person. So, uh, yeah, like just stop it. Just get a life, explore vagina <laughs> for lack of a better term and, and maybe stay off the internet for a little while. So that's, that's all I have to say about the game. If you've played it and you want to hear my full thoughts about it, you could check out again, the spoiler cast that I did with, Tristan, uh, Thomas, and, and Annika, we had a really, really good discussion uh, talking about the LGBTQA plus themes, uh, some of the parallels that I mentioned, and, and you know, the cults and, and, and what have you. So, uh, and the plot twists, obviously. Uh, really, really great game. Um, and, and one of my favorite games that I've played, I'd say this whole generation since the oh. PS4 began. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you say it's the best game on the PS4? Definitely or one of the best for you, for you personally. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't say because I haven't, I haven't played enough yet. <laughs> um, I, I, of the ones that I've played though, I feel like it's definitely within the top three for sure. Okay. Maybe not number one, but maybe number two. Um, I, I do really love Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, I think it doesn't, the Horizon Zero Dawn doesn't surpass Last of Us Part II from a narrative department, but it does surpass it, I think, from a gameplay department. I, I just love, or, or, and actually like a world building department. I love the world of Horizon Zero Dawn. It's just amazing the amount of imagination, uh, in that game. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I let me marinate on that a little more. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that in time I'll probably change my position and, and with other games that I've played, I have yet to play Spider-Man, which I really, really want to play. Oh, that's a great um, game. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll come back to you on that. I, I've seen it, and I've played a little bit of it through my friend. I haven't played it through completion, though, so mm. I still need to complete that, too. I have them. I own them. There you go. Uh, so I will, I will let you know. I'll get back to you on that, but it, it is, like, a must-play game. I, I think it, if you're into narrative-driven games, if you're not into narrative-driven games, don't bother. Um, you know, if you're into, like, gameplay, like, Doom-esque games, then... This is not for you, but it, are you if, saying if, Ellie can't jump around with a double barrel shotgun and like meat hook to an enemy and like <laughs> explode into like a fountain of colorful like power ups? Because if not, well, what what the hell are we talking about here? Can she do Fortnite building? Because if not, I'm out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point of the game? Yeah. Game didn't you in it? What the hell? This game is far <laughs> part of the scenes. That's all I'm saying. And don't yeah. think we're not going to talk about the fact that you had Tristan and Thomas, two T names, on your podcast. You're very I know. rule about this. I, I broke the rules there, but uh, okay. yeah, I, I did it for the sake of having a good conversation, and it was it was it is a really good conversation. So I really do encourage you to check it out. Yeah, um, we'll see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, but great game. This I love the game. I'll bring this up to the council, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. it you know, it is a device again. It reminds me of um. I cannot believe I cannot remember the name of this movie. It, the 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 Ryan Johnson Star Wars, Last where, Jedi. Yeah, yeah. Where pe- someone would be like, "I love this movie because it did A, B, and C," and someone could say, "I hated this movie because it did A, B, and C." So, like both, like that's what I'm getting a lot from like Last of Us Part Two is people are like, you know, I love the movie for what it did here, and someone says, "Yeah, I also saw what it did and I hated it for that." And it's like it's a weird sort of divide where it's like. You know, they're not hating and loving things for different reasons. They're just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I should know that I actually do dislike The Last Jedi. I, I don't think that it, it, it did the Star Wars or that trilogy, uh, you know, it, it did any good for that trilogy or it did any good for the Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, franchise the whole, as a whole. But I don't, I, you know, it, I, it's not okay to lump those two, I guess, um, fan bases together in the sense that, you know, in my case, like, I, I don't, I think that there are problems with The Last Jedi in, in the sense of when you look at it as a trilogy and as a whole. But when you look at Last was Part 1, Last, Last was Part 2, there are narrative threads that they do pull off excellently, I think, in my opinion. Um, and, and, it's not the same in, in the sense that the, thematically there, there's just a lot more to explore. And I think people are missing the boat there. Mm-hmm. You know, like some people are kind of taking things at face value and they're not analyzing it as much as they should. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how this game is viewed in posterity. You know, like I yeah. think, I think right now, you know, my opinion hasn't changed in The Last Jedi. It's been a couple of years since that movie has come out, and I still think it's pretty bad. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, I predict at least, that The Last of Us Part Two will probably look back on, people will look back on it fondly. Mm-hmm. I think that the hate that it's been getting now, it's a little unfounded. It, it's really kind of spearheaded, I've noticed, by a lot of YouTubers and streamers um, no. for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, this is just my observation. I'm not saying that it's all of them, 
but I guess maybe you, YouTubers and streamers kind of, they do things for kind of a, they, they do do things for like face value or they analyze things at face value. Um, cause like they need to have like a reaction, right? For their audience. And yeah, big bold text on the thumbnail, the big red arrow pointing to Ellie playing the guitar. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Like they, they, it, it's a testament to their kind of profession, I suppose, where it's like, oh, this is my reaction. Boom. Like at the get go. And I had those reactions too. You know, like I was like, why the fuck am I doing this? Like, I don't want to do this. Why the hell am I doing this? You know, and I definitely had those moments throughout as I was playing the game, but then I put some time behind me and I was like, oh, I understand now. I get it. I get why they made me do this. Okay. You know, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Really interested to see how we talk about this game and how we approach it a couple of years from now. Great. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I know it was a highly anticipated game and there were some rocky uh road towards it its release but it came out and you enjoy it and that's great uh as for me i finished playing ori in the will of the wisps which i talked about last week um that is a super gorgeous game like every every zone every character is just so fascinating to look at and the music is awesome the color work is great uh of course it's an ori game so there's going to be a lot of tragedy there's going to be a lot of hope. Uh, it's sort of like a Danganronpa game. It's all about hope and despair. There you go. Um, Without any waifus, though. I mean, no. you got to get that. If I did have any waifus, then from this <laughs> game, then that'd be worrying. <laughs> it's all weird animal creatures. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thomas isn't here this week, so I can't tell him that I did fight that boss that he mentioned last week, saying this is a boss a lot of people had trouble with. I'm interested to see how you do with it. So he's not here for me this week to tell him that I honestly didn't have any trouble with it. I did it in one shot, and I got the achievement for killing it in under two minutes. So Sean is pro gamer. I'm pro gamer, everybody. I'm sponsored by Mountain <laughs> Dew. Doritos. Yeah. I just G Fuel. Right. G Fuel. Right. I, that's how pro I am. I don't have time to say Game Fuel. It's G Fuel. Yeah, better watch out, or you might get snapped up by Mixer. Oh. 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 Too soon? It's too soon. We haven't even talked about the story <laughs> yet. The wound. Um, but yeah, very gorgeous game. Very incredibly fun game. If you enjoy Metroidvanias, you gotta play it. Uh, it's so, it controls so smoothly. Like, it just feels so good to jump around. You have so many movement abilities. Like you have a double jump, you have a triple jump, you have a, a slingshot, a grappling hook, a boost jump. It, all these different things, you just move around the stage as quickly as you can. It's so cool. Uh, after that, I played uh, Borderlands 3. And the reason I went back to Borderlands 3 is because they dropped the newest DLC. The third one, which is called... I don't remember. It, the, the word bullets is in there, and I know the word blood might be in there. So let's go with Blood and Bullets. Um, it is a Western-themed game. Uh, kind of also Western-slash-Samurai-themed. There's a lot of uh, old samurai film kind of uh, aesthetics and themes going on. The uh, A couple of the main characters are kind of like, they have like a mix of cowboy and also some samurai stuff. Uh, Yakuza-type 
uh, tattoos. It's, it's really cool character designs going on. I gotta say, though, the story was pretty weak. I, I really just didn't care for it. And the problem is that in the past two DLCs, the main characters that are involved are characters that you've seen before. First DLC had Moxie, and it had Timothy. Second DLC, DLC had uh, Gage, and it had... Um, I can't remember the guy's name. The hunter guy with the monocle. Had him in there. And the uh, Jacobs guy. So you cared about these characters. So when you had this story that lasted only not very long, you it didn't matter because you already cared about these characters. But with this third DLC, there are no new returning characters. It's all new characters, which sounds great on its own. But because the story is so short, and I swear it's shorter than the other two DLCs. I'm not, I can't say definitively if it is. It's been too long, but it feels like it is. But when you have this short story, it, you don't have enough time to care about these characters. They're, they're in and they're out and you're done. So, um, there's a lot of cool new guns. Uh, they added three new character levels, which the community was super upset about. Because they said, oh, but then I'm going to have to refarm all the guns I like again. It's like, you're playing Borderlands. Where do you think you are? Farming guns is like the thing. You would just do it over and over again. And it doesn't even matter because you get all these new guns that are now are the new meta. So it's like you're going to farm them anyway. So on you. So I don't know if I could recommend it. But I mean, if you're trying to keep up with the uh, Borderlands 3 community, you kind of have to just because... They're going to be coming out with like some new meta builds and stuff like that, and it's all going to involve the new guns. So you're kind of forced into that corner if you want to continue that. Have they fixed like the? Because there were a lot of problems with like loot drops and and whatnot, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, there were problems with everything. They fixed a lot of the big ones. They they fixed a the problem that was with um, mayhem mode, where enemies are just too spongy. Mm-hmm. Um. They fixed a problem with, like, uh, grenades weren't scaling to the mayhem level, so they're pretty much pointless. Uh, they fixed, the big one is they fixed pet damage. So things like flax pets, iron bear for Moe's, uh, the clone, and the sentry for Zane, they all now do comparable damage in Mayhem 10. And I'll be honest, flax pet, I play as flax, that, that dude can kill things well on its own. Like, he, he does millions of damage easily. I'm just sitting there like, damn, I don't want to cross that thing. So they fixed that. So you can now play, if you're playing as Moe's, you want to do Iron Bear, you can. And now it now can kill things, so it's all great. Uh, they fixed, again, some of the damage scaling. Um, the new raid is supposed to be uh, better adjusted, but I haven't really heard much about it. Most people are talking about the DLC. Uh, but... They fix a lot of things. It's not completely fixed, and they will break more things before they fix everything, but it's better than it used to be two weeks ago. Um, and after that, I finished it on, like, Saturday, so I haven't had much time to play it, but I played a little bit of Persona 4. Just a smidge. Yeah. Just a, a dabble. Have, have you played Persona 4, David? Uh, I don't think I've ever played it to completion. Okay. But I I do know a lot about you and you know why you and the uh, the the other characters like Chi Chie Chie. Yes, Chie was introduced early. 
and the other little guys. <laughs> don't, care, don't care for Chie so far. It could oh, really be, okay. It That's could good. be. I'm using the English voice acting at the moment, and like she, she's a. I can see the personality they're going with her based on her writing, and she seems like she'd be like this fun, spunky character, kind of tomboyish type, you know, kind of person you could hang out and watch kung fu movies with, and uh, you know, eat junk food. That'd be your date. Sounds great. But she's a lot to deal with. She's very loud. Uh, she's very in your face. I'm like, maybe it's just the voice acting is throwing me. So I'm going to try doing the Japanese voice acting, see if it makes things better. But everyone yeah. else is voiced just fine. So I like I like Rize. Rize? I like I her. I haven't met her. Um, or maybe I have. I met one girl when I got off the train station, and she had like a plaid skirt and like a padlock choke or something like that. I liked her look, but all I know her as is unfriendly looking girl. I forgot her name. Shoot. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I'm sure I'll learn more about it. They don't. They want to put that much work into a character design just to have her like one and done. Yeah, uh, she's the one with the yellow headband, right? No, she kind of had like no headpiece as far as I can t- remember. It's like just kind of black hair. Oh. She might oh. change her clothing later on. I don't know. You know characters do that sometimes. You first be in their one thing and then be in later there something else. Who knows? But. Um, all I've met definitively is Chie, of course. Um, the clumsy guy who like works, his family like owns Junes and every day is great at your Junes. They love singing that jingle or your, your little niece or nephew, whatever she is. Uh, and I also met the girl with long black hair, Yukiko, I think, or something like that. Like she owns, she works at the hotel. Her family owns it. And, um, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Yukiko. Yeah. And Saki, I think her name was, she has like white hair. I met her briefly, but then she like, she's disappeared now. It's like, oh crap. I got And I met the bear thing. Weird bear robot. Teddy. I don't know. Teddy. Yeah. Teddy sounds right. He hasn't given me his name yet. He's just like, what are you doing here? Get out of here. And he threw me out. I'm like, okay, fine. Whatever. Jeez. <laughs> Very private moment here. Very private moment. So like I said, I haven't played much. I've clearly haven't met all the characters. Um, uh, so far it seems great. I, I don't like the aesthetics as much as Persona 5. And I mean that both the visually and the musical aesthetics. Uh, so like Persona 5 was all about, uh, jazz and the colors of black and red. And it had a very comic book art style to a lot of things. The UI, it was really cool, very dynamic and poppy. Uh, but Persona 4 is more blue and yellow. And I haven't got a, a strong feel for the music yet, but it feels a little bit more maybe hip-hop, maybe just regular pop. I haven't really heard a lot of music from it yet. Uh, yeah, but- I think that's a good, that's a good takeaway in, in the sense that it's also, I think Persona 4 is a product of its time in the sense that it was released in the late, uh, like the 2000. Game Pass released in 2000. So probably that. Yeah, it released a while ago, uh, almost 10 years ago for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, Golden released almost 10 years ago. I'm talking like, because Golden is a re-release. Right. So right. technically the game released like, 15 or something years ago, a long, long time ago. Some buttons. That's a long time. 
Yeah, so it, it is a product of his time. It reminds me a lot of like anime that released around that time, like Gurren Lagann, that are kind of like, I don't want to say the best production values, you know, for anime, but kind of like school life anime, you know, where, where the lines aren't, or, or rather the settings aren't totally fleshed out. They're kind of more drab, where they kind of more or less look the same. Um, or at least that's, that was the impression I got when I was playing it. I was like, this is like a, this is like a old school quote unquote anime or an anime that I used to watch when I was a teenager. Honestly, I feel like anime still does that. Like every time they go into a Yakuza office, I'm like, yep, I've seen that office in every other anime or. That's true. Yeah. Oh, is this, is this school? Yeah. I've seen this school. I've seen this, uh, street, uh, residential street. Yeah. I've seen that one. I, I think it's gotten a little better in recent years regarding like the, the ver- variety of settings and places and things like that. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so far also, I don't want to say as a horror feel, but it reminds me a lot of Silent Hill so far. Like you arrive, it's, it's basically like this kind of country bumpkin kind of town. Like it's a farming village. It's, it's really out of the way. It seems to have like a problem with flooding because I have a lot of flood walls and it rains a lot. That seems to be important. Because every time it changes day, it likes like, hey, the weather's going to be this today. And if you look at the screen at midnight, when it's raining, you'll see your soulmate, which I don't think that's my soulmate who I saw. Um, well, I think it's, it's, it, it, that's like kind of like the point in that in rural Japan, they have a lot of problems with monsoons and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, the, yeah. The town is all about like rain and there's like a lot of fog and mist. It's like, am I in Sun Hill? Like everything looks run down and, and kind of pressing and there's fog everywhere. I'm just, I'm just waiting for a siren to go off and for me to turn off the game because no thanks. Um, but yeah, I haven't done any combat except for like one mock fight that I do against a shadowy figure. Um, but based on that, I don't like the UI as much as I like Persona 5's. Persona 5's is very good. I want them to keep that forever. So yeah, that was my week of games. Alright. So, with all of that hullabaloo out of the way, let's get into the week of the rest of the world. And we're going to start today by talking about Mixer. Now, Mixer, of course, was the uh, streaming service that was set to take over Twitch, or beat out Twitch. It, it had um, a lot of streamers from Twitch sign up to it exclusively, including uh, Ninja, I think it was. Uh, and we just got news that on July 22nd, Mixer will be closed. And all existing partners, that's like the streamers and stuff like that, will be moving over to Facebook Gaming. Uh, it, it's not entirely clear whether or not they will have to follow, the contract will follow with Facebook, and they streamers will have to you know, maintaining contact or they'll have an opt to like get out of the contract. Now this move, but all the streamers are released from their contract. They are. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, so Phil Spencer said we started pretty far behind in terms of where mixers monthly active users were compared to some of the big players out there. Wow. Surprising. Um, I think the mixer community is really going to benefit from the broad audience that Facebook has through their properties, and the abilities to reach gamers in a very seamless way through the social media platform Facebook had. Phil Spencer is referring to the fact that uh, Facebook gaming attracts hundreds of millions of players every day who either play games, watch games, interact with game 
uh, accounts every day. So the hope is that these streamers who will move from Mixer to Facebook Gaming will find even more success. Uh, so let me ask you guys, how do you feel about Mixer's demise, Tim? Are you surprised by this news that Mixer is going down? No, I was not surprised because I feel like I don't really ever hear about Mixer. It always, yeah. I mean, Twitch is pretty much the main one. Um, I mean, maybe even Facebook gaming is, I didn't know. I mean, mean, they took over, I guess, but you didn't, you didn't know they had one. Well, I knew you could play like games on Facebook, but I didn't know they had like a a platform called Facebook or anything like that. Yeah. I I vaguely knew about it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, David, what are your thoughts? I know you, you bought a lot of stock in Mixer, uh, you were saying this was going to be your ticket to uh, royalty levels of riches. So how do you feel about this news? Yeah, I, le- I definitely lost a lot of money uh, on that bet. You know, I, I, I'm i actually, as a PR person, I'm actually kind of glad. <laughs> I really? mean, I that, that sounds terrible because uh, I know a lot of people that I communicate with that are partners with Mixer, but mm-hmm. I... I find Mixer to be a very, uh, very ancillary, meaningless type of platform. I, I feel like if you wanted to get an audience, it may just make a lot more sense on Twitch. Twitch is the market leader. There's just more people on Twitch. So I'm not saying it out, out of, you know, spite for my Mixer correspondence. I, I'm saying it more in terms of for their benefit. Like now they, they have, I mean, they're going to go to Facebook gaming, I guess, automatically, but they're going to be more encouraged than more, now more than ever to go over and make the jump to, to Twitch. And I do really hope that they do because it just makes more sense for them to exist there. Um, Considering how much money Facebook is, has lost recently, thanks to like advertisers boycotting them, I think jumping to Twitch is the best move. Yeah. And then these streamers are like, yeah, I'm going to go to Facebook gaming now. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm like you, Sean. Like, I, I don't hear much about, I mean, I know it existed, but I didn't, I, I, I don't think I've ever communicated actually with anybody, uh, like a partner with, of Facebook gaming. There's just so little, uh, people there. Uh, and it, I think Review Tech USA on YouTube, he actually posted a, a, a chart, uh, like year by year growth of each of these platforms and Twitch from, it's either 2019 or I think it's 2018 to 2019. It doubled in viewership. You know, it, I think it, it, it was over a hundred percent actually, uh, year over year growth. It, and Facebook gaming was similar. You know, it was like maybe half of that. And then Mixer was like 0.02% growth. So it, it was, it was pretty evident that Microsoft was going to let Mixer go. Uh, but like I said before, you know, Mixer, those mixer partners, I, I I do wish them the best. That I I do hope that they kind of see the broader picture and they are able to migrate their audiences to Twitch and hopefully have a better future with their you know platforms on on Twitch. So yeah, yeah. yeah me personally, um, while I'm not surprised Mixer went down, uh, I'm I'm kind of upset by it just because 
I don't think it's great that Twitch is pretty much uncontested when it comes to uh, video game streaming. Uh, YouTube's trying to do it a little bit, but I don't know how successful they've been. When you think of video game streaming, you think of Twitch. And I don't know if it's because like Twitch was just like the most competitive platform as this, this trend was taking off, or it's because it was the only option. And that other streaming services just didn't have like uh, game uh, sort of support. I think what uh, really shot Twitch up was um, speedrunning channels and like uh, AGQ, mm-hmm. BBQ, whatever it is. The speed, the speed running festivals were hosted on uh, Twitch, and that really brought in a lot of people. I think, I think certainly to some degree, it's just because it happened to be around like it was like one of the first, and it did it well enough, and yeah. it just it just grew from that, and I, now it is what it is. I got the impression that it was like it, it showed up, it was doing that, and other companies were like no one's going to watch want to watch people play video games. They want to play the video games themselves, <laughs> so they didn't bother yeah. like try some to- people still think that. Yeah, but like they they didn't bother to like try and compete with it, and like Twitch just became so massive that trying to compete with it is like nearly impossible. But I do still believe they should have some competition because you look at something like YouTube, which is nearly uncontested when it comes to video uh, uploads and streaming, and it can do whatever it wants, and it has to worrying results. And so, but if there was like a bet, people have constantly said every time. YouTube does something like horrible. He was like, if there only there was a better alternative to YouTube, we would, we would all move there and it'd be great. But I do want to quickly point out that I do not like Twitch's navigational tools. I think they are so disjointed and they're, it's just so as a PR guy, when I'm looking up coverage for a specific client, it's just right. so hard to look up video on demand. It's like, I got to go out of my way to find that stuff. Yeah. It takes a while for it to load for some reason. I, I kind of wish that Twitch had the same search functions as YouTube, weirdly enough. Um, yeah. But like you said, like Twitch is kind of the market leader here. So I don't see them going away <laughs> anytime soon. So I kind of just have to get used to it. I don't, I'm not a Twitch guy. Like I, I don't like, watching people live stream games. So it's just not for me. But a lot uh, of Twitch's UI is form over function. Like it's it's trying to look clean, yeah. clean, but it's like I don't know what I'm looking for. Every time it changes UI when I'm about to stream, I'm like I have to wait like ten minutes to figure this all out. And once I do I can like I can be like click, click, click every time after that and it's fine. But they, they change it a lot. And it's like, guys, just pick a lane, okay? Just just stick with what it is. Yeah, it's it's confusing. Yeah. yeah, but I wish all the best to the people who went to uh, Mixer and now have to choose Facebook Gaming or Twitch, yeah, whatever it is. Uh, moving on, we have some news about The Last of Us Part Two. It has sold over four million copies. It is now the fastest selling first party PS4 exclusive ever, with more than four party four million copies sold as of June twenty first. Uh, so I ask you, David, since you're the resident uh, Last of Us Part Two expert. Is its sales success deserved considering the harsh embargo instructions? And for those who don't know what that means, that the um, the reviews that came out were told very specifically, don't talk about this part or this part or this part or these sections, only talk about this, this, and this. And a lot of reviewers have problems with that because like, we can't tell, explain our full views unless we talk about those parts. 
So those are the embargo restrictions. So David, how do you feel? Is this, is the sale of success deserved? So this is a really interesting situation because I've never or very rarely seen an instance where a publisher has had such a tight grip on review coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I did kind of look into what the creative director behind the game thought about it. His name is Neil Druckmann. And he, he, he basically said like, we understand that the, you know, the, the embargo restrictions were very tight, but we did it for a purpose to serve our fan base. And we were willing to take the hit from the reviews if it meant best serving our community. And I thought that that was pretty, that was a really salient point because that's backwards. At the, like that sounds like it would hurt. That sounds like it would hurt the community community if they're not getting the full story. Well, that that that's a good point too. But it's like the way the game is orchestrated. It's very difficult not to spoil a lot of the story beats in this game. Like for a significant portion of this game, uh, you see, like I, I feel like I'm already spoiling something. For a, for a significant portion of this game, you are doing something that you thought you'd never do, and it, it, it that moment in and of itself is just very profound. And and um, I for them to keep such a tight lip on it, I don't think that if reviewers kind of spill the beans on it, it wouldn't have elicited the type of reaction for me personally that it did. Because as I mentioned before, I'm like, well, why am I doing this? I don't want to be doing this. But then it gradually, I kind of came around to it. And I don't think I would have came around to that experience if someone else told me how they felt with it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I guess I get what he's trying to say from in the sense that he was trying to, or his team was trying to service the community. And at the end of the day, I, I think that the game does live up to its pedigree. So like maybe the embargo restrictions were a little bit too much or, 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 you know, they did limit critics too much, but the, the, I think it kind of worked to the benefit of the game. And I do think that the sales success was deserved when you look at the game from the overall perspective, uh, from your, from the overall you know, story narrative threads and tie them all together and all the surprises that happen because you weren't spoiled by reviews, you know? Um, I'm not sure if I'm making a lot of sense here because again, it's really, really hard to talk about this game without spoiling it, but they did a really good job from the marketing side of make, making us go in one direction and then rather taking us in another and that elicited certain responses or emotions that I wasn't expecting to feel. So, uh, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I do think it deserves to sell success because Naughty, Do- Naughty Dog did a lot of diligence, not only in uh, the marketing side, but but in in the technical side too. Jim, uh, do you think this sales success is deserved? This four million copies sold in such a quick amount of time. Well. Um... I mean, I know that they do put in a lot of work. I mean, I haven't played the game myself, but I mean, I feel like there must be something redeeming about it, right? You know, they... Yeah. 
I'm, I'm not. I haven't played either a game, and what I know of either one is a like broad stroke gleaming. It, I don't think I've been spoiled on anything. It's hard to tell because it's not nothing like you know. I haven't done like 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 clickers are actually space aliens from the future, and they're here to steal our eggs or something like that. Like <laughs> I haven't heard like any revelatory information. It's just more like sort of like it's it's kind of these themes and it's kind of those themes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I'm sure they they tried to make the best game the best game they could within what they thought would be good and I I mean it, it seems like maybe it's divisive some people are with it some people are not but mm-hmm. um I think they deserve it I'm sure they put in a lot of work for this I'm sure they did it it is odd it whenever you have a sequel that sells this well it it's Never feels like its success is based on the game itself, but based on the game that came before it. Like, no matter what the reviews had said, no matter what, you know, what had come up to it, people were going to buy this game if they had any interest in it. Like, there's nothing that's going to stop them. Um, so yeah. the embargoes almost feel unnecessary. And I've, I, I understand the, the necessary, the need for like embargoes, like a date embargo. Like, you can't release a review until this date. I understand that. But content embargoes, like you can't talk about this content or this content, seems too controlling. It's also unnecessary because reviewers are pretty good about like they'll put big bold letters. There are spoilers ahead. You know they they don't they don't want to spoil things for you. But it, it seems a little bit oddly controlling. Um, I think that's a good point um, because <laughs> for one thing, I think a lot of people just scroll down to the number <laughs> for a review. They don't actually read a review. <laughs> I looked at uh, when the game came out. They, you know, they have like on Reddit, like they have a list of like all the sites that reviewed it, and like numbers next to them. And like every review that was like praising it had like a, a number between like eight and ten. You know, a lot of them was like nines and ten stuff like that. But the ones that don't have a number, like Kotaku or um, Polygon, weren't as glowing. As there's other reviews, but they also don't have a number, so you can't be like, "Oh, well, they're they don't like it as much because it's a seven, seven, eight, you know." Well, in terms of Metacritic, Metacritic looks at those outlets and then they determine a score for them. So they look at Kotaku and they're like, "Oh, so if this outlet was more kind of in the middle, they'll they'll label it as like a seven, and then they'll weigh that in the average." Uh, the same thing goes with like Polygon and the other sites that don't necessarily put they shouldn't scores. Do that. Those well, that's sites, how Metacritic works. I don't. That's that's not right. If those sites chose not to have uh, a score, then Metacritic can't just come and be like, "Well, that sounds like an eight to us," and like put an eight there. It's like, how would you know? Yeah, I, I know it, it. It is kind of messed up, but it's what they do. Uh, but but it's also you're exactly right, Sean. Like it has to do with the with the president of the game before it, and the pedigree that the studio has established um, regarding other franchises too. So it, it, it's funny because reviews do very little <laughs> to boost a game's success. A, a lot of time, like, it, it has to do a lot with the marketing behind it. Um, Sometimes the marketing is, is putting all the review scores on a big old picture. I, a, a perfect a perfect example is Star Wars Battlefront 2. Like 
the reviews for that game were pretty bad, yeah. um, from at least from the onset. But that game sold fabulously, and it's because EA had a lot of marketing dollars to push the game everywhere. I think it's also um, you know, average Joe doesn't read the reviews, doesn't really keep up with like the drama going on before a game is released. They're just kind of like, oh, I want to shoot things as Boba Fett. I'll buy that game. Right, right. And, and Sony knew that it had a good game on its hands. Obviously, it's Naughty Dog. It's probably their most prized studio. So they pushed this game like crazy. I mean, I see this game everywhere I go. Uh, every website that I visit, it's there. Um, so it, it, it's it's obvious that they're putting a lot of marketing dollars behind it. You can never really tell, honestly, like if it's the reviews or if it's the marketing dollars. More often than not, it's it's a lot of the marketing um, yeah. behind it. You're not going to achieve a lot of like millions upon millions of of of, of copies sold if if it's just through reviews. It's just not going to happen. Look at all the great games that have great reviews, and they're still kind of selling, you know, just okay. You know, they, I mean, a lot of them do sell fabulously. But there are games that get really good reviews. Like Okami is a great example, right? Hmm. Great reviews across the board, sold terribly. That's that's um, why I always think like reviews aren't. They don't really convince somebody. Like like oh, this game has a ten. I'm gonna go get that game. It's more like someone's on the fence. Like I don't know if I want to get this game. And then they look up reviews. Like oh, it's a ten. Yeah, I'll get it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they're they're not really going to take someone from zero to sixty. They're just there to kind of tip them one way or the other. That's exactly. Yeah, about reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another blurb point. It feels weird that it, this just came to me. I just remember, I remember reading that they said if they're when they do Last of Us Part Two, it was not going to involve Ellie or Joel. They felt the story was done with them. They're not going to use them ever again. They'll use different characters. And but here we are. Did they say that? I don't think they ever said that. I think, if any, I think what Neil Druckmann said was this is the story about Ellie and Joel. Like Last of Us is not about the clickers, it's about these two characters. No, he, he, he. I remember reading that he said like, no, these, this is the end. We're not going to do these. Not that like, like we hate these characters now. We don't want to do anything. But just like we don't have anything more to say with them. Their story is done. Okay. It, it's it's here and it's good. But yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. Was- I mean, their their story was pretty done in the end of the first game, but. Uh, Luckily, in the, in the second game, the cast is so large that, it, you know, even if you're not a fan of Joel and Ellie, you can probably find a, a, yeah. a couple of favorites among the, the big cast. Exactly. Uh, yeah, move, moving on, we got to talk about a little something that Mitch Dyer, who was formerly uh, worked at IGN, came out and put on Twitter and started talking about the emotional terror, his words, from Tal Blevins and Steve Butts. Yes. My name's Steve Butts made it that far in life, which is impressive. Uh, he says in a time between 2012 and 2016, he felt taken advantage of, exploited, and manipulative, and afraid for his job at every turn. Uh, he had several stories to talk about, including that uh, he, Steve and Tao would get each other to intimidate people to get their way. Uh, they would stay at $3,000 Airbnbs while employees shared rooms at Roach Motels. Um, they reprimanded staff for staying up for their friends. Uh, see what else? Oh, this, this is the big one. Speaking of Naughty Dog, he says, and I quote, when I reported on Amy 
leaving Naughty Dog, Steve Butts and Tal Blevins forced gossip into the story. They heard it was a hostile takeover. We didn't want to publish it. I tried to take my name off the story. They would not allow me to do so. Uh, a lot of these claims of uh, Steve and Tal just forcing a lot of their wills in order, I, I guess, to get more clicks, you know, not just for the act of being a dick, but just to get more uh, coverage because a lot of these stories are about, like, getting gossip in there because the gossip is juicier than the reality. Uh, so let, let's hear some texting story. Uh, David, um, let's talk about, like, uh, Amy Hennig being forced out of Naughty Dog. Uh, was nothing but forced gossip, according to Mitch. What, what, what is your take on this? I mean, it's it's really unfortunate for this to happen because you're severing relationships with you know, with other with studios and developers, and that's never a good thing from a communication standpoint. You want to foster good relationships with your with, with everyone, pretty much, so that if you need a tip or, or if you want an exclusive story or what have you, you can, you can get that, you know? And unfortunately, this is something that, and I won't name names. I won't name any publications, but I've, in my experience working as a journalist in games, I've, I've seen this, uh, more often than I would like to see. And it, you know, I, I, I get it. They need the views. They need the advertising dollars. At the same time, it really tarnishes the reputation of the site. And it's no one's surprise that IGN's reputation has really kind of downspiraled in the past few, uh, past few years regarding, you know, especially with, with, uh, those two editors. I remember there was the last guardian, uh, story that they broke that it was actually canceled, that it was canceled when it was actually not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they did other shady stuff throughout their time there. And it, it I was following it. You know, I, I, I did read, I, st- I still kind of do read, uh, IGN pretty, pretty often. And it, it's just, I, I think they're in a better place now, but unfortunately it, it did come at a price, you know, and, and it is what it is. Hopefully they'll move on from it. And, uh, I hope other, I hope smaller publications learn from this too. You know, like man, if you're in, you're in management, don't be dicks <laughs> to your journalists. Don't be dicks to your staff. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it goes without saying, but please don't do that because it's abusive. And also we have social media. So we can kind of call you out on it and we can also tarnish the reputation of your website. So there's that aspect that you have to consider too. Um, and also you just want to foster a good, environment among your workers be them paid or volunteer or what have you 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 know you want them to succeed and you want them to produce the best work that they can through your outlet and the only way you could do that is by listening to them listening to their feedback uh i agree totally you got to treat your uh, employees well uh don't necessarily have to have like that sort of we're all a family mentality you know you or management, they are employees, but that doesn't mean you can treat them like dirt. And there is this sort of toxic relationship between uh, publications and publishers where a lot of publications are like, well, 
we don't want to say anything too bad about this publisher because they might not give us review copies in the future. And we need those review copies in order to get things out before everyone else, you know, get it out in a timely manner. And that, that, that's a sort of toxic way to run a journalistic endeavor. You should not have relationships with publishers and all that stuff. Sometimes it should be, you know, report the stories as they are. And if you have good relationships, great. And if you don't, well, you know, I, I'll let you in on something very quickly, but like a lot of what these websites need are not just review copies, but they need extra copies uh, for guiding because the reviews are great. They drive a lot of traffic, right. but they're kind of one and done, right? Yeah. Like people who are playing the game in posterity, they're going to look up guides. They're going to look up walkthroughs and you need that to kind of make the foundation for your website. Right. And, and in order to do that, you need multiple people, especially if it's a dense game RPG, like, I don't know, like the Witcher or something, you need multiple people working on guiding. Yeah. If not, then you're just, you, you, you're going to have to put all the work on one person. It's just not feasible. So, um, that's another aspect about relationships between publishers, developers, and, and media is just, uh, like they'll go, it, it's kind of, I'm trying to put this in a way that won't get me in trouble. <laughs> and it's also kind of eloquent, uh, finding a good middle ground where you're not totally psychophantic, but at the same time, you're very professional. Yeah. And you don't want to reach a point where you're putting gossip and lies to a story in order to make it juicier or uh, to reduce how the image, or, like make it sound like, right. you know, damning to whoever the, the thing is talking about. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It, yeah. Um, but Tim, did you have any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's terrible. And specifically, like, being forced to include that stuff about the gossip is just awful. I mean, because his name was attached to that article. And it that seems like, obviously... Yeah, I follow him, yeah. Yeah, it seems like, obviously, that that's his word. Like, he endorses what he wrote, I mean, right? Like, it mm -hmm. seems like that'd be obvious if his name's on there. But he wasn't, but he couldn't detach from that. And that affects his own image. That affects his relationships with people. And that's that's not fair, because <laughs> no. he didn't want that in the first place. Um, and also, to a degree, it's kind of frustrating that this sort of thing doesn't help even with IGN's image and maybe even the image of uh, media in general, which mm -hmm. people are naturally distrustful of to begin with. But then these kind of things happen and that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. And people love to hate IGN, even on like a day when there's not really a reason to. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, that kind of annoys me. I mean, I get it, but it feels like it's not really warranted sometimes. Usually not, no. People just like to kind of target and think that's the biggest. Yeah. It's the easiest target. Right. I, I don't know the psychology behind it, but that, that happens with everything. Publications, people, places, doesn't matter. I mean, just, just things that are popular 
are yeah. more subject to being hated. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting how that works. It's a rough situation, and it, it it's, it's good that Mitch, you know, survived it. He got out of it, and it sounds like uh, Steve and Tal don't work there anymore. Right. They, they still work in the business. I think he said like, they have a consulting form, firm, but they don't work at IGN. And, and Mitch made sure to say, like, hey, everyone else at IGN is great. You know, yeah. just these two guys made things terrible. But every, everyone else is great, which is it's an important distinction to make. He's not saying, like, IGN as a whole is terrible. But, right. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, there is some new Cyberpunk 2077 information that came out. Uh, during their Night City wire stream. A lot of information came out, a lot of new trailers and stuff like that. Uh, but the most important is that they apparently have customizable genitalia. So, you know, I, I have to ask if you're more excited for a Cyberpunk 2077 now with this new feature. And if you are, how are you going to customize your genitalia? Tim, take it away. It's <laughs> a big topic change. Um, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I don't really think any game has done that before. I don't think. Yeah. I know, like, Saints Row let you, like, a lot of games, like, let you adjust your bust size and your bulge size, but it sounds like it's going to go a little bit more no pants in the process kind of customization. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder, could you have, like, nothing Go full Kendall? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like you must be able to, right? In this age of, like, cybernetics and... Well, see, that that's my question. All right. Like, uh, David, because he, he got a lot of information on this. He was very interested. Uh, you know, you could adjust the size of it, like the length and stuff like that. But I want to know, like, can you add accessories? Like, can I bedazzle things? And yeah, I believe you can. I can't. I think you can put cock rings. Um, but sure, let's go right for cock rings. Yeah, but uh, I I don't know if you can change the girth of the penis. I believe it's only the length. Well, I able to put in like things like rings and studs and like a light show. Legos, yeah. Just won't like won't factor into the wow factor at that point. It, it it'd be like just putting a hat on a hat. Like you've already done enough. Right, 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 right. Uh, I understand. But yeah. you know, not not to go off topic. But Tim, you didn't answer my question. How are you going to customize your genitalia? I don't know. Male or female? You know, <laughs> you, don't, you don't got to just go with a male lane. You might make a female character. I might. Yeah. I I don't know. Honestly, I I don't know how much customization I would do. It's like I don't know. It's not my thing, but you're it's cool that's there. I don't think you should be allowed to play this game if you're not excited about this process. <laughs> I don't think it will be for you. You're just gonna play and be like I don't get it. Whereas people like me and Dave are like, yeah, we get it. So yeah, you know what? You're your homework for this week is to think about how you would customize your genitalia. All right. Okay. And I expect an answer next week. I'll think about David. it long and hard. That's what she said. That's what she said. So you're off to a great start already. David, how would you customize your genitalia? And does this feature seem warranted in a game? 
so I've thought about this a lot, unlike Tim, obviously. Obviously. And I, I've always been fascinated with, I don't know if you guys seen, I think it's a Vice documentary about a guy whose penis was so large that he had to kind of like wrap it around, you know? And wow. yeah, like he had to wrap it. And like he had a like you know those uh those man bags those like European a fanny bags pack? yeah the fanny packs there you go yeah 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 oh God I don't like where it's going he had like he had to make a insert in all of his pants so that he could fit his genitalia in the fanny pack because it was just so large so I was wondering you know getting to the point if I could really like like make a really, really long dong so long that it would actually impair me and make the gameplay harder. Well, it wouldn't make you harder because after a certain <laughs> length size, you can't get enough blood flow in that direction. And it just... Right, so maybe like vision impairment, you know? Things but like that. Can you make? Can you break past that barrier of detriment and make it long enough that it can be used as a weapon? That's another whether, thing. Whether it's a detraction piece or as a blunt force weapon, you know. That's another thing that I I need answers to. I mean, it goes for the female side too. You know, yeah. do Maybe a quick flash and pan. It's like a sheath. Just there you go. I know some people who can do that in real life. So okay. why can't this? No, yeah. I mean, why can't that be? I mean, like literally detach it and use it as like a, a sword. There you go. Cybernetic. It's cybernetic. It can be made out of whatever, you know? I know people in real life who can do that. Yes, I know. (laughs) Really? No. This is no surprise. Don't you guys know? Don't you have friends who can? Uh, I don't. No, I don't. You know what? I might, but the the opportunity has never come up for them to prove that as an ability. You know what would be really cool? If you can detach it and then use it like as a laser pointer. Like it it will fire like lasers. That would be really cool. Or you can yeah. just like thrust and it'll shoot lasers. That'd be great. These are the questions that will be answered with Cyberpunk 2077. Come Hopefully. out this November. <laughs> this is why the game keeps getting delayed because someone will burst into the office and say, guys, how are we going to, how are we going to, how are we going to customize the pubic hair? We need We're laser like, dicks. Come on. <laughs> what about the hair? And everyone's like, shit. Yes, you're right. And they have like, fuck, put out a tweet. We're delaying it another two months. <laughs> so, sorry, guys. <laughs> We need laser genitalia. Be back laser in gen- two months. Like, if there's not yeah. some sort of light, electric light that you can put on your genitalia, then what are we even doing here? Like, come on. I agree. Cyberpunk, guys. I would love to see a partnership with Log- with Legos too, but you know that's just the cherry on top. We'll, we'll get ramen noodles to sponsor it because Cyberpunk Lego movie. Cyberpunk always has like a noodle oh bar gosh. or something like that. All right, moving on. Square Enix is going to be announcing several new games in July and August. So at a stockholders meeting on the 24th, uh, spokesperson said, we would normally announce new games at E3, yes. We have planned to have a press conference as a replacement event, but we're unable to do so since assets were not complete. We announce new titles individually as timing permits. Several will deb- debut around July to August. So there's not going to be any like Square Enix event. These things are just going to pop up as they become ready. So I want each of you to kind of give me like one or two games that you would love to see announced at this Square Enix two-month span. David, start us off. 
this is I don't know. Like I don't I don't know if I personally truly want to see a Square Enix game. Like I, I maybe it's Final Fantasy sixteen, I guess is the first thought I have in my mind, but I'm kinda like well, the presumption really that, that um that project Athea that was announced at the PlayStation one, that's actually a Final Fantasy game. Really? That's the rumor anyway. It seems too acrobatic to be a Final Fantasy game, but alright. Well, this is the one like where she's like there's like big like weird lava dragons and lava wolves and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think practically they'll probably do like a little tease for Final Fantasy Seven Remake Two. We all know they're working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it might be coming out sooner rather than later. So they'll do something like that. Maybe they'll do like a Tomb Raider tease. I could see doing that, but I kind of, if they do a new Tomb Raider, I don't want it to be Laura Croft, to be honest. Yeah. I feel they've kind of finished her story. I mean, they can keep going with her. That's fine. But like, she's had her time in the sun. Like, let's get a new character in there. Keep it female centric. Yeah. Tomb Raider is about playing a female archaeologist adventurer. Like that's fine, but I don't know. Mix it up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Again, then that's fine. I think I think what a lot of nerds are secretly hoping for is a Deus Ex sequel or a reboot mm-hmm. or something. I don't think we're going to get it. I think Square Enix is very unkeen. <laughs> that's a word on the Deus Ex franchise right now. They're just not very enthusiastic about it, considering how Deus Ex Mankind... What is the... Mankind Divided. Mankind Divided was very... It was like a sales disaster for them. Yeah. So, um... Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be expecting that. I, I, I'd i say most likely it's it's a Final Fantasy. And maybe they'll do, like, the a little uh, sizzle reel of, like, Kingdom Hearts. I, I, I don't like the Kingdom Hearts franchise anymore, almost. Like, I'm just kind of done it with has it. Money, it's has installments. Yeah, I'm. I'm just kind of after three. I'm like, okay, this is over. They'll do like the melody of memory thing. Maybe they'll do like another gameplay trailer for that, and and they'll call it a day. But uh, and they'll do like the dark road, the mobile games that they have for that. Uh, but yeah, those are my predictions for that particular event. Yeah. Uh, Tim, did you have any games from Square Enix Library that you'd like to see get announced? Um. I'm sorry, I'm such a bum because I don't really play Square Enix games. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, all right. So, I, I mean, for you, I'm going to say Dirge of Cerberus. Okay. Get a new Tim wants a new Dirge of Cerberus. Game. Dirge of Cerberus. That's the most Shadow the Hedgehog answer you can ever give, Tim. <laughs> right, Tim. I mean, God, Tim, come on. Wait, what's the name of it? Dirge of Cerberus. Dirge. Dirge. You know the name of it. You asked for it, man. Like, come on. Dirge. You just heard you. Dirge it's Star- a very Shadow of the Hedgehog type of game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I do while, like Shadow of the Hedgehog. While Tim pretends to not know what Dirge Service is, uh, <laughs> for me, I'd like to see a, a sequel to Nier Automata or just a new Nier game in general. I just want Yoko Taro and Platinum Games working together again. I'd like to see a new game in the Nier universe, mythos, whatever. And when I say I want a new near game, I don't want a mobile game. I don't want a weird card game. I, I, I don't want a Hot Wheels crossover. I don't want anything weird Yoko Taro 
franchise shift that he likes to do. Just a video game that played like Near Automata, but with new characters. But what about Near Replicant? Isn't that coming out this year? That's so, a mobile game, and he didn't work on that. Isn't there a Near game based off of the original that's coming out this year that's coming out on consoles? Uh, Near Reincarnation? I don't know what it's called. I think there is. I think, awesome. I think they're working on a mobile, and they're working on a consoles PC. They might be working too. on a remaster. Of- yeah, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. No, I want more 2B. Oh. I don't want mm-hmm. Dad near or Big Brother near. It's one more 2B. Yeah. Yeah. 9S and A2 and all my robot buddies. Let's bring them back. I'd also like to see a new Legacy of Kane game. I was never yeah, that's never going to happen, but yeah. <laughs> I was never a series, but I like vampires as a concept and. But for some reason, vampire games are good. Vampire games are hard to come by, and I feel like Legacy came under the right hands could be a good vampire franchise. I think I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Marvel's Avengers got some new information regarding its story. Again, there's more Square Enix news. Um, let me ask David. David, are you more excited about Marvel's Avengers uh, now that we know things like more about the story, the combat, customization, characters, and Modok is going to be in there because he's got to be in every Marvel game. Nope. 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 <laughs> All right. Then. I, this game, this game, I played it at New York Comic Con last year. It, I, I think I told you guys, like, it just feels so boring to play. It just, it, it feels like every character plays the same. It doesn't feel uh, like, it like a, a voice. It's like, it's like, we need to make a Marvel Avengers game, and they did. Yeah, like, pretty we much. We want to make this kind of game. We want to make this. No, it's just like we got to make something with the Marvel Avengers. What are we doing? Come on. Yeah, I, I strangely enough, Black Widow is the most compelling character in this entire game, which is, I think, a bad thing because she's a powerless one. <laughs> like Batman you know? powers, but he's like usually the most interesting. Yeah, but, the- yeah, that's true. But I'm saying like. If you're Thor and you freaking wield a hammer, you can summon lightning, thunder, you know, with a snap of your fingers, you should feel kind of like a badass, but you don't in this game. And I, it, I don't know. It, it, it seems like Crystal Dynamics hasn't really done anything. I, I saw the, the Thor gameplay footage that they had. And I'm like, okay, cool, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just not very enthusiastic about this game at all. Sorry. I'm honestly, I'm right there with you. When I saw it, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, that looks like a solid 7 out of 10. You know, and, and 7 yeah. out of 10 games are basically like, unless you're like really interested in them, it's fine to skip them. It's you know? serviceable, yeah. It's yeah. a game. It's not offensive in any gameplay or content-wise. It is what it is, and you can move on with your life. Uh, Tim, did you have any excitement feelings towards this game? I guess not really. I mean, I do. It, I I like Marvel stuff, and for me, it's been. I, I kind of got into it somewhat late, so maybe for me, it's a little more like, "Ooh, that's cool." But, um, yeah, I guess nothing really sticks out. I mean, it looks nice, looks good, yeah. but it looks like graphically. Okay. But, uh, you know, I kind of wish. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a game where you could play Thanos? 
Yes. Like collecting uh, the stones. Marvel. That would be cool. You could play as Thanos. Well, that that, cool. that that game exists, Tim. It's called Fortnite. Remember? Oh, uh, damn it! <laughs> right, <laughs> right, David. Of course. My mistake. I hate myself. <laughs> you should. Uh, you can't play as Thanos in uh, Ultimate Alliance Three, but you don't go around collecting stones. You're just like, oh, that you like, oh my gosh, like you go. Around, it's like I don't know, maybe an RPG. Play as Thanos, going around and just wrecking stuff. Collect the MacGuffins, get stronger over time. Yeah. yeah. Meet you can, members like, combine of the order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Combine the gems in different ways, like different attacks, and like Ooh, yeah. unlock that. You hear this? We're doing your job for you. <laughs> We're making this game work. I actually don't know the game. If they're making it would work or not. I don't know. It could be fun. I'll keep my ear to the ground, but I'm not going to be like disappointed if it's like a bad game, they say. Uh, so moving on to another franchise that is beloved, but is making some weird game choices. Uh, Pokemon had a presentation that talked about a new game called Pokemon Unite which quickly became the company's most disliked video on YouTube ever. It accrued over 170,000 dislikes in under 24 hours. Uh, so what is Pokemon Unite? It is a mobile game, so off to a bad start. Battle Royale, in which you play as different Pokemon that have different strengths and weaknesses and moves and stuff like that. They don't, there is no type advantages, so like Fire is going to do better against Grass Pokemon, but you know they all have their moves. Um, Tim, did you have any thoughts on? Let's say, is the backlash toward Pokemon Unite justified? Like, does it deserve all those dislikes? I think I I was um trying to keep up with this, so I think the context of this is that they were kind of hyping this up. There was like before we knew what it was. Somewhat, they're saying on something big and everyone started to assume that was like oh it's going to be a gen 4 remake oh it's going to be right they the community started to hype themselves up a little bit higher than they probably should have but yeah there there was some hype leading up to it Mm -hmm. so yeah there was that hype and anticipation and then um they announced probably the worst thing they could have against that which was it's a mobile game so it's it's made by Tencent Studio. Yay! (laughs) You love them, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so in that vein, yeah, I, I, I can call that justified. I mean, I feel like, I feel like no developer isn't aware of the, the vitriol that people feel towards mobile games. Or, so. Battle Royales or Tencent or yeah, how any number of really, really vitriolic Pokemon community can be. They oh can yeah, they can really get pissed off. Yeah, it's bonkers. Uh, to my opinion, no, I don't think this hate is warranted. I think a lot of those dislikes are people just like it's not so much that they thought the game looked bad; it's just that it wasn't the game they wanted. Like, well, I want to look at I wanted to look at Gen Four remake dislike. Now, personally, I think the game looks fine. It looks like a battle royale. I, I don't like that as mobile, but I wasn't going to play it anyway, so points moot. It, it's neat that you can play as individual Pokemon. 
teams with five revive, I mean, it's, it's okay. He's got infinite, uh, growth potential, you know, different, uh, Pokemon you could bring in, different, uh, locations. I mean, it's easy. Bam, boom. David, do you think the, uh, backlash is warranted? Uh, no. I mean, I, I do encourage people to voice their opinion, you know, when, when they see something they don't like. It's, it's okay to put a dislike, you know, on, on a YouTube video. But when it comes to like, you know, the hate on Twitter, that's a little much. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. and you're right. Like they did kind of pump themselves up for a Gen 4 remake or some kind of hallelujah moment, but it never happened. In terms of the game itself, I, I personally, I'm not as positive as you, Sean. I think it looks terrible. Um, I, and it, it, it just feels like a Chinese game. You know, like, like a throwaway Chinese game where, and I don't, I don't, I'm not, there's no, I don't mean to be racist or anything or stereotypical or whatever. It's just Chinese players tend to gravitate toward, you know, multiplayer centric MOBAs, right? And, or free to play games. So it's, but in mobile games, you know, it feels like it's custom made for that audience. I don't know if it warranted a Pokemon Direct type of thing or broadcast. They could have just as easily just said, "Hey, here it is," kind of like what they did with the Pokemon uh, with the Paper Mario thing, the, um, the Origami King, where they're just like, "Ah, we're, yeah. here it is." They, they could have just done something like that. You know, I would be surprised if Tencent was like, "Hey, we need to do something special." Like they even had like uh, different. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, I guess they're Japanese streamers. I didn't recognize anybody. I don't recognize streamers in general, but uh, they're all Japanese except for like two American guys, but I, I didn't get a good look at them. But they basically they brought in a bunch of people to play the game. They, they wanted to make it a big special spectacular thing, but people de- definitely didn't like it. It most likely was a Tencent incentive, yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they probably invest a lot of money into the Pokemon Company. It, it, and I've noticed the Pokemon Company has been really kind of ratcheting up the production lately, right? Like, or is that just me? Like, they just, they're releasing a lot of stuff, oh. you know, between ah. the mobile games, like the Pokemon, like if the throwaway, like Pokemon Smile, um, Pokemon Sleep, whatever. But then they also have like, the DLC, the expansions that are coming out for Sword and Shield, Sword and Shield themselves. I mean, the Pokemon company has always been about like kind of really pumping out these spinoff games, but uh, yeah, yeah you're right with all like the DLCs and like the apps like Pokemon Smile and Sleep, which we still don't know much about. But it's like, yeah, I, I could see that being true. Um, moving on to more Nintendo news. Uh, this is about Smash Ultimate. They have announced their next fighter. It is coming from the game's arms. And the character is going to be... Drum roll. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a drum roll, I guess. Uh, it's gonna be Min Min, who is the, uh, noodle girl. She has one arm that's sort of like a dragon coil, and the other one that's sort of a noodle arm. She is gonna be joining the cast of Smash Ultimate. So, I'm gonna ask you guys this question. Tim, what do you think of Min Min joining Smash? And if you're not a fan of her, what other arms character would you have preferred? Well, Sean, mm-hmm. I, I, unlike what I'm sure is to be the rest of everyone in the world, I have not played ARMS, <gasps> so I'm unfamiliar with uh, their characters. 
so I'll admit at first I was like, I mean, and to some extent it's still this way that I don't care too much. However, I did notice that it looks like her arms are made of noodles. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I can get behind that at the very least. Um, I also mentioned that at the uh, reveal trailer, I thought that was actually pretty adorable. <laughs> it's mm. like, uh, Captain, uh, Captain Falcon and Kirby are just eating noodles together. <laughs> it was just kind of adorable. Um, but yeah, I, I, are, are people excited for this? You think? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't follow the Smash Ultimate community or the ARMS community, so I don't know if anyone's like super. I think it's been kind of positive. I haven't really seen a lot of backlash. I imagine it's just because, like, it's an ARMS character. Like, everyone was like, why was this not in from the start? I think, I think the backlash happened when they announced that it was an ARMS character. Like, people were like, oh, freaking ARMS character, come on. But then, you know, once the people, once those, the haters kind of went away, the people that stuck around were like, oh, cool, maybe. You mean like the people they want more deep cuts. They don't want like, oh, it's a fighter in a fighting game. Blah. They want, you know. Yeah, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're, you know, what they were thinking. But I, I think it's I, not to, you know, take away from you, Tim. But like, I think it's kind of cool that they didn't choose the protagonists of the story, Ribbon Girl, and the the other guy. Your guy's name? What's his name? Springman. Springman. Uh, the producer said something along the lines of, well, they're not the protagonists of the, of, of arms. Everyone is the protagonist of, of arms. That's bullshit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, obviously, if you're going to use the characters in your cover, like, and you're promoting these characters a lot, and they're kind of like the standard characters. They're, Ryu and they're, Ken. they're the protagonists. They're the mascots. Come on. Come on. You know, uh, but yeah, it's a great choice, I think, to, to, to include Binmin. Um, she, she seems like a diverse fighter. I don't play a Smash either, Smash Ultimate either, but it, it's different. And I, and I can get behind that. Uh, I, I hope that the next, I think there are five left. I hope the next five are just as interesting as Min Min. I, I'm not looking for Goku. All right. I'm not one of those people. I'm looking for something different and new. <laughs> yeah. Gilbert. I, Gilbert. Gilbert be too OP. No matter what they put out. No matter how they try to cripple him. Especially with that jetpack. Woo! Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think Min Min's a good choice. Um, seems like a fun fighter. Uh, good design. I mean, all the characters pretty much, they have the kind of like the springy arm reach thing. So like, any one of them kind of would have worked. Uh, there's one called Bite and Bark, which is like the, sort of the policeman style one. They're like robots. That could have been like a weird... You know, ice climbers type thing. I would have gone with Dr. Coyle just because I like her design the most, but honestly, any of them would have been fine, and Min Min is a good choice. So, yeah. Good choice on there. Uh, we got a anime announced for Cyberpunk 2077 called Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Uh, it's gonna be, uh, gonna come to Netflix in about in the year 2022. And it is going to be animated by Studio Trigger, who are, you know, they've been known to, they worked on, uh, what was it? 
Kill a Kill, Gurren Lagann. Through Witch Academia, and they also worked yeah. on some bigger games. Like uh, Shantae and the Seven Sirens, the opening was animated by them. Really great opening. Um, Tim, are you excited for uh, a cyberpunk anime done by Studio Trigger? Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. all the more content for cyberpunk. I mean, it's coming out in like two years, which, I mean, I don't know the longevity of however long this game is going to last, but if people are looking... Well, the way they described it is that you won't have to have played the game to to appreciate the anime, so... Right. I'm just saying, like, if people have, you know, finished the game by then, and they're like, oh, no, there's no more cyberpunk, then uh, they just look forward to. I, I, yeah. I think, I think they'll be okay. David, are you interested in this anime at all? Yeah, I mean, I think that the whole Cyberpunk 2077 releasing this year, supposedly, fingers crossed, right? Fingers crossed, uh, yeah. And this releasing 2022, I don't think that's too much of a problem because The Witcher did something very similar, right? It released like three or four years after The Witcher 3 came out, after the last game came out. So it's still kind of in the zygast. Um, if anything, I, I think it's it's great that they announced this so early on because it shows that they have intentions of building on this universe, right? Like, it, it won't just stop with the game. It, it, it will probably continue through either anime or, like, maybe comics or books, things like that, which is... And most likely there will be DLC, right? I, I do kind of expect there to be some kind of blood and wine expansion oh, yeah, for yeah. for cyberpunk so uh it's great to see uh i, I i'm more excited i guess for the implications than for the actual anime itself but uh i'll probably give it a look you know if netflix is still around it'll probably be around 2022 but uh you know if, if i have netflix i should say in 2022 <laughs> uh so uh our last story before we get into the topic of the day um this is somewhere just um just an, a neat story that was found. Um, this was about a, uh, a terminally ill uh, player in EVE Online who celebrated his birthday with thousands of EVE Online players going to war for him. So this is a very, a very interesting story, um, and I'll, I'll quote the uh, article. On Tuesday evening, over 2,000 EVE Online players gathered to celebrate Chappie 78 Chapman's 42nd birthday by gathering two massive armadas and blasting each other to smithereens. Representatives from every major player alliance and EVE showed up, along with a few developers, many sporting their biggest, most expensive ships to sacrifice. Oh, where'd it go? To sacrifice for the birthday. Um, for those who don't know, when you lose your ship in EVE Online, it's gone. Like, I, I, what I understand, it gets blown up, it's gone. Billions of the ingrained currency ISK was destroyed just for the fun of it. Um, now this was because Chappie 78 was told his pancreatic cancer had returned and was terminal and he had about maybe a year and a half to live. Uh, not only were many Eve, not only were many of Eve Online's major alliances planning to attend, but nearly every notable community member was on their way too. Even many of Eve's less reputable gangs were getting involved. It wasn't until Chappie 78 logged in to move ships hours before his birthday fleet was scheduled to start that he began to realize the scale of the event. 
Chapter 78 tells me that he was so distracted by the outpouring of support, he didn't even realize that he had traveled to, uh, pronounce this, Udama, Evil Alliance's most notorious system where gangs of assassins lurk waiting to destroy players foolish enough to haul expensive cargoes or fly expensive ships on their way to Eve's trade hubs. It was a modest mistake that, on any other day, would have cost Chapter 78 dearly. Chapter 78 said, Again to Edema, and all of a sudden, I kid you not, like 20 guys surround me. I had way too much money on me and my cargo and that system. If I had realized what system I was headed to, I never would have done it. Uh, he was on voice calls with friends at the time, and he said he was screaming in frustration that he was about to die. The fleet of enemy ships targeted him, but unexpectedly didn't fire. All these private messages popped up saying, Chappie, we're here. We're going to be there for you tonight. We're going to escort you to make sure your stuff gets to where it's going. Um... He couldn't believe it. It was code, Evil Alliance's most notorious gankers, whose sole purpose is to destroy defensive players whenever they can. They were locking people that were even coming close to me in combat ship just in case they wanted to think about targeting me. Um, and I also recommend reading the article in full because the, the, the player himself, Chapter 10 today, has a very interesting and tragic story uh, for how he got into Eve Online and got out of it and got back in. So... We don't have that, like, I have a huge discussion about, but I just want to get you guys, if you had any general thoughts about this, have you heard about something like this happening in another game? David? Well, I, I've heard of commemorations for people, I suppose, people who've died. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think World of Warcraft does a lot of that, or its community, rather, does a lot of these gatherings and things like that. And I do also remember in Club Penguin, uh, that they did, they did something similar, right? When, when the servers were about to, yeah, yeah. when the, the servers were party. about to uh, be offline, they they kind of got together there. Um, but in terms of like just finding out about what a person's been through and then helping them cross the galaxy to to achieve their mission, I, that that I have never heard of, um, and it's very nice to see. Uh, especially in a game that I get two sentences into reading a description about it and I'm already confused. Um, it, it, it seems like the people in this game are very, very passionate, not only about the game itself, but about each other too. And that's really, really great. You know, they, they, they look out for each other and I love that. Um, of course, I, I have a very cursory knowledge of, Eve and Eve Online and, and its community, but this is something that I definitely want to see more often in the video game industry. You know, like I, I don't see news stories like this as often as I would like to see them, and this is just very wholesome. And it, I, I love a, it a lot. It's a very wholesome story. I, I, you know, when I was reading this, I'm like, wow, that's a really cool thing. They, they made, they went to war for him, you know, uh, and we're kind of like, yeah. in a game like World of Warcraft and I guess Club Penguin. If you do stuff like this or something equivalent, you lose something, but you're going to get it back. You're not really, you haven't lost anything. But even online, you, you lose a big ship like that. It can be like worth a lot. That's a good point. Like, yeah. Kind of like making these big sacrificial acts just to kind of show their support for this guy. And it was people who like, who never met him, never spoke to him, but they're just like, Hey, yeah, I want to be part of this. And it wasn't until I read about, you know, how he wandered basically into the bad part of the universe where people get ganked and, and, and robbed and stuff like that. And he found 
continued support. That was like, wow, that's really, really cool. Um, and, and again, you read this guy's story about, you know, how he, he was a soldier and he was, you know, hit with an IED and he had to uh, be discharged. He didn't know what to do. Uh, had PTSD. He turned to drugs and alcohol, lost his wife and his son. Uh, and he turned to Eve online. It was just kind of a way for him to escape. And all those kind of tragedies kept hitting him, but he, you know, he kept returning to Eve online and just having a good time. And it's just a really cool thing that happened. Uh, Tim, did you want to have any thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, this is very wholesome and I'm, I'm with you, David, that I don't really know much about this game except that there's a lot of people who play it very passionate people who play it and the things they do can be like so crazy and really unlike things you see from some other games um it's hilarious that they went to war to in celebration of, of this player it's like it's like if you had a birthday party and like 2,000 people showed up Sort of you all played like, yeah, and you all played like some death laser tag, but yeah. it's in space. That's just awesome. And I think it's just a shining example of the good that games can bring mm-hmm. and bring people together for as much as they faced, you know, criticism for being violent and terrible. Mm-hmm. It's like, the, look at this. This is yeah. so nice. They're doing cool things for each other. Even a part of the story where he was talking about when he first played and he got destroyed by an enemy uh, player and lost everything. And the enemy player said, hey, do you know why I destroyed you? Like, because you did this, this, and this wrong. And, like, bought him a couple of new ships to help him start off better again. It's like, yeah, just keep at it, man, and just be careful next time. It's like, that's a cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. Destroy someone and then, like, give them more than what they had when they started. That's neat. Uh, so yeah, just a cool story. Uh, but we're going to talk about, uh, the topic of the show, which concerns the price of video games, the price that we, the consumers, have to pay. Um, Sean Layden, uh, who was an ex-PlayStation executive, uh, had some words to say about the current games industry and had some words about its sustainability. He said that, uh, the problem with that model, he's speaking that, uh, of course, about how, uh, for example, Last of Us Part Two is 10 hours longer than its predecessor and more technology advanced, but it still costs the same amount as the first one. And he said the problem with that model is that it's just not sustainable. He explained that the current generation development costs reach between $80 million to $150 million, excluding marketing costs for AAA games, with the work taking up to five years to complete. Furthermore, AAA budgets have historically doubled each generation, meaning PS5 development budgets could hit $300 million. So he went on to say, I don't think that in the next generation you can take those numbers and multiply them by two and think you can grow. I think the industry as a whole needs to sit back and go, all right, what are we building? What's the audience expectation? What's the best way to get our story across and say what we need to say? Which sounds like he's trying to say, Look, if you can't increase the cost of the game from like $60 to like 70 or 80, then you need to decrease the content in the game. Um, he just says it's just not sustainable and if retail prices cannot be elastic and $6 has been the standard for a long, long time, at least as far back as, um, Nintendo 64, I think, I think 
although I think they hit sometimes at seventy dollars. Um, but they've always been sixty dollars pretty much, which is uh, very surprising. Um, so let me ask you guys: Should the next generation titles cost more? And do you have a price in mind of what they should cost, Tim? It's kind of it, it's interesting because for some games they already have gone up, and that's because of microtransactions. Yeah, in, in a sense. I uh, mean, those are, those are mostly usually delegated to uh, free-to-play mobile games, which probably don't cost mm-hmm. the same amount to develop as like Last of Us Part Two. Right, and. I, it's not even, I mean, obviously, like, if it's a free-to-play game, then it's it's free. It doesn't, you know, cost you anything to get it. So it's not exactly the same as raising the price. But, the, you know, the decent number of players do wind up paying as if they paid for a full game or sometimes even many right. multitudes more, sometimes thousands of dollars for a single game. Mm-hmm. So... For for a lot of cases, we were already there. But well, um, let me ask you this: uh, Would you be willing to? Here's the scenario: uh, Game prices stay the same, six dollars max, but there's more tra- microtransactions. Or would you prefer no microtransactions, but the base cost goes from like six dollars to seventy or eighty? I, well, I mean, I guess it depends what the micros are. If it's like, is it stuff I would want? Or is it like, or should, I should say. Well, I mean. Is it, if I don't buy it, am I at a detriment? Whereas if it was $70, that stuff would be included. There's been a lot of rules that have been broken when it comes to microtransactions, but the rule of the microtransactions cannot help you be better at the game compared to another player in competitive way. There are plenty of microtransactions that, that will like just help you like boost your experience or or boost your strength and thing, but they're single player games, so they don't they're not technically giving you advantage over somebody else, and that's where the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean, I I'm not a fan of the. Well, the I think that was in Assassin's Assassin's Creed. They were like kind of time saver yeah. microtransactions you get. I'm not uh, into that. I wouldn't be okay with that. Well, would you be um, okay with paying more for a, a AAA game? I think, I think I might be willing, but how I, much? Like the upper limit, would you be willing to pay for a AAA game that like you would like to play? Like normally, like you're like, oh, sixty dollars, that's fine. I'll, pay, I'll I'll buy that game. What's the upper limit you would pay? Get that same game. Mm, I don't know. It's weird thinking about that because then it's like getting close to a hundred. Like yeah. even if it was like even seventy or eighty, that's like it's very close to a hundred. I I guess maybe like seventy ish, mm-hmm. maybe. But I don't know. Like I wonder if we. 
I don't know, like maybe AAA games would would have to be treated more as like a luxury product in a way. So yeah, you you're uh, change the uh optics on AAA games like it's not like it has to be if we're going to pay more it has to seem like it's more unnecessary to our life. Almost. Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's what I'm trying to get at because triple A's are like usually seen as like the bread and butter mm-hmm. of um of people who are just in in playing games, but um maybe it's just a matter of they have to be elevated into a different sort of level, so maybe they're not quote unquote the the normal sort of standard game, and if you yeah. want to get them, it just means paying a bit more. But, I mean, I feel like this does kind of introduce the question of do these games need to be as advanced as they are? Right. Or can they be pared back to some extent? Now that once we have the PS5, Xbox Series X generation, which I think is going to last for a pretty long time, they can stop making those jumps. But it's hard for them to make a new generation console and justify not increasing the performance by a, a large magnitude. Because then otherwise people are like, well, why don't, why didn't you just make this for PS4? Why do you need the PS5? Yeah. So exactly. it, it, it's tough to do that. Um, David, did you have any uh, thoughts about this? Do you think the next generation co- title should cost more? And if so, how much should they cost? Yeah, I think they should. Uh, Tim, you touched upon the point of AAA games being luxury products, and that's kind of the way I view them. If you want to play with your friends, you know, just turn on your Xbox or or PlayStation and and play a quick game of Fortnite or whatever you can. I think those games will always exist, like Apex Legends, et cetera, et cetera. There'll always be a market for that and there always be people willing to, to play that. Um, but I think in terms of AAA experiences, they already are kind of, I, I don't want to say relegated, but it, it are, it feels like a lot of them are made custom made for a certain type of consumer in mind. And I, what I'm thinking about is, is the, the, the example that Sean Layden had in mind with the last of us part two, like, it is kind of like a mass market product, but at the same time, it isn't in the sense that you're not going to have the people who, who regi- play Fortnite religiously play Last of Us Part Two necessarily, you know. Um, and, and those people who have been waiting to play Last of Us Part Two for a while and they know Naughty Dog's pedigree, I think they would be willing to to pay, you know, that twenty, thirty, even forty dollars extra if it meant that they were going to get that experience, you know? And so personally for me, I I would pay up to a hundred dollars to play a game that, that is as dense or at least a little more dense than the last was part two, because it's, it's a pretty long game. It's like 25 hours. Um, I consider that pretty long for, for, for a narrative driven Uh, experience. I feel like that's not long enough for a hundred bucks personally. Right. Right. I, I get it. Um, and, and I, you know, for, for RPGs and things like that, like that, that's not nearly long enough, right? Like you want to play a very dense 
RPG like The Witcher, which mm-hmm. could last you easily over a hundred hours, right? And, and there you would be like, oh, okay, so it's like I pay a dollar for every hour, you know? But the way I view it is kind of like a movie theater or, or movie experience. Mm-hmm. Like you pay, you know, or at least in New York City, I pay almost like twenty bucks to, to see a movie, Which you know, like- in this in the city, and and. A movie typically lasts like maybe three hours if you're lucky. Um, but more or less, a lot of times it just lasts like two or two and a half. And the way that I think of it is like, okay, if I get that, you know, I, I times 20, $20 times five, it's a hundred dollars. I'm getting, I, I would get like somewhere between 10, 15 hours of content. I would be fine because like, Again, I'm speaking very personally, but I don't think I'm too much different from the average consumer here. Like, I don't have enough time to watch movies and play video games. You know, like, I can only spend my time and money on one or the other. And if I'm spending $100 on a video game and it's going to last me a long time, well, that's like paying $20 every night to see a movie. If not less, because you're getting a more robust experience in the sense that it, it, it's a longer experience and you're, you're paying less per hour um, per se, right? So that's the way I kind of see it. I get, but I totally understand the argument against it because it's kind of like, well, you know, uh, you look at games like, again, The Witcher or a Bio... Uh, I was going to say a Bioware game, but I guess it's a bad example nowadays, <laughs> right? A Mass Effect game. You know, uh, uh, a one to three Mass Effect game that's going to last you a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 you look at something like that and you're like, well, you know, it could, it could last me 50, 60, 70 hours. I'm only paying $60 for that. Yeah, I, I get that argument. But at the same time, if I'm getting something that's as emotional and, and as thrilling and exciting as, as an experience as The Last of Us Part Two. Or I would assume God of War and Spider-Man, I'd be okay with it. Maybe you know what you know what they could do from the onset if they if they do make it like a hundred bucks, throw in like a little keychain <laughs> or like some like DLC costumes or something, you know, just to yeah. kind of sweeten the deal. Just I don't like, know. Like a digital art book or yeah, like a little thing here and there, you know, or, or like maybe maybe even like a like an expansion, like or like a Maybe like the entire sp- expansion pants, but like maybe like two or three portions. I know like la- like Spider Man, for instance, had like four um, expansions. Yeah, so really? maybe like, yeah. So maybe like you give them like one or two, you know, and, and and the other two they have to buy something like that, you know. Uh, that'd be fair. So I, I definitely understand what Sean Layden is saying, and it makes a lot of sense. And from a purely mathematical sense. The price of video games that the consumer pays should have gone up. I mean, you look at the price of tickets to movies, that's gone up. The price to, co- to buy those movies, like the DVDs, stuff like that, that's gone up. Television, uh, the price of cable has kind of gone up, I guess. Uh, price of uh, premium services. Netflix went up. Netflix, yeah, Netflix every, every couple of years goes up by like a dollar. Yep. But video games do not go beyond 60 bucks unless they're like a collector's edition. They come with like extra stuff. Um, and that's problem one. 
which is that they have spent way too long being $60. It has now become so ingrained that it, that, that is the standard that if you're to go above that, you are now breaking a cardinal rule, which is that AAA games cost $60 to buy. Boom. End of story. So that's one hurdle that I have to go over, and that's really hard to do. Two, you can't just have Sony decide, well, all right, we're going to go $70, $80 is now the max. It's going to be a, a fluctuation between 60 and 80 for the AAA games. You can't do that because if Microsoft and Nintendo decides like not play that game, guess what? They now have one of the biggest draws to their console, which is that yep. stuff is cheaper. So you'd have to get Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony all on the same page and all on the same price range. Or just like a singular price, like $80 to say. I keep coming back to A's whole stick with it. $80 for AAA games. That would be really hard. And you'd have to have everyone agree to that because if you have one person say, no, we're going to stick to 60, you've now not only created a market for that one game or that one publisher, but you've also proven that it doesn't need to be $80. Because if you're going to say that it needs to be $80 because the price of game development has gone up, People are going to be like, well, okay, everyone should be following that rule then, right? Because they're going to assume that the, the price of the game they have to pay is locked in. It's not the develop, it's not the publisher's choice. That's just the way it is. And it's not true, but that's what their unconscious minds are think. So you'd have to go over that hurdle of every single publisher getting on board with that. Three and third hurdle is Steam. Steam has spoiled us. Big time. And this happened primarily uh, early on in the sales, like years ago, when games got like discounted like 80, 90%. And people were like, wow, I can get this AAA game for like five bucks now. And it was like $60 like six months ago. And so people started to look at games that, you know, AAA games are $60, but you better bring your A game, your AAA game, I guess. If you're going to get me to pay $60, because there's a lot of games I can buy for a lot cheaper. Indie games, like people generally won't pay more than $20, and that that indie game better have some serious production value, because otherwise they're not going to buy it. It's got to be like 10 and below. And that's, that's going to have like $5 if like they don't know what it is. Gamers on PC games got very, very cheap, thanks to Steam. So that's another hurdle they have to come over through. Another hurdle that the, the publishers have to uh, face that they kind of backed themselves into a corner with the whole increase in production costs. That's on them. Like I've, I've said this many times in the podcast that gamers would be fine playing games that look the same 10 years ago if you hadn't just constantly moved that bar up and up and up. And we get it. You got to make things look prettier over time. But that's on you for increasing the costs of everything so much. That's, I mean... People would have still bought games if you didn't do it that drastically, but that's what you chose to do. So, I, th- I think that the the point that Sean Layden brings up that I think is is pretty salient is uh, he says that games have become longer, too, and uh, I mean I don't I don't know about you guys, but like I'm okay with playing a AAA game that lasts me twelve to fifteen hours. Like oh, I'm yeah. fine with that. I'm it's okay. Quality over quantity with me. You know, yeah, I I prefer 15 hours of, of quality gameplay versus 100 hours of yeah, that's okay. 
can't play. In some cases, I actually prefer it to be honest because it's yeah. I don't have it all the time in the world. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person. I'm gonna be honest. So I kind of want to. When yeah. I started Persona Four, I was kind of like, do I want to start this? Because I know it's going to be a really long game. Exactly. I a lot of my attention. Do I want to do this? There, there are actually some games that I I don't want to play because there's so, like The Witcher Three is a is an excellent example for me. Like I do not want to play that game because it's too long. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, it, it's it's really long if you decide to do all the side quests. But at the and same, I'm going to want to do all the side quests. Like, you, you want to do all the side quests because yeah, it, it's a rare game in which the side quests are written as well as the main quests. Like they put right. the same care into it. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a very long game. But but I, I get that. I, I really wish that developers just kind of stuck to that. Like, I get it. Gamers want big, robust experiences because they're paying $60 for these games or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, we don't, like, the general consumer doesn't need it. I, I would think that a lot of people who are playing this game, like, just people who don't play games religiously, they're going to play Last of Us Part 2 and they're going to be like, this game is actually really long. <laughs> like, because I felt that way. Throughout the game, and I don't play games religiously, not not as much as I used to, at least, you know. And, and I, I I don't think that that I'm alone in that that that's not an alien feeling. Like I, I do think that if we had, if we had games that were more self contained, more compact, but they gave us a really good experience within ten to fifteen hours, most people would be fine with that. The yeah. vast majority. I, oh yeah, guaranteed. Um. But gamers are so much about the whole more bang for your buck that if someone comes along and they're like, hey, that game gave you 15 hours, but we can give you 25 for really good stuff too. They're going to be like, well, I want that 25. I've heard so many people cite me the one-to-one ratio rule, which is that I will only pay for a game based on how long it is. So if it's $60, I will pay $60. If it is 40 hours long, I will only pay $40. One dollar for every one hour in the game, which I don't I don't know who came up with that arbitrary rule, but it doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Don't use that dumb. rule. That that rule exists for you to to validate your cheapness. That's it. That's what that rule exists for. I mean, we've all played AAA games here. Have you ever gone to like a, a an environment and, and you looked at it and, and you thought, "Damn, the artist must have taken like months to make this thing." Oh yeah, you know, or this level, they must have taken so much time to make sure that it's, it's just the best level that it can be. And, and then, to, that argument is just dumb. Like it, it's just, it, quite frankly, it's just disrespectful. It is, you know. And you can, in a lot of those cases, David, you stroll past that in like five seconds. Oh, yeah, you never know. Oh, yeah, a couple yeah. minutes, and it's over. It, it, it's like, it, dang. Yeah. And, like a month later when someone points out, I was like, hey, I was just looking at this game and I noticed that this does this when you weren't looking. And it's like, oh, shit. But your brain noticed it. Your subconscious yeah. noticed it. And as I told you, like, hey, this game's really great. You don't know why it's great, but trust me, it is. It's like, okay, great. Um, so they answer the question of, of should video games cost more for the consumer? Yes. 100%. Uh, I, I, I looked at inflation. Um, I used 1998 because I knew... The Nintendo 64 was around in 98. If I paid for a game that was $60 in 1998, today it would cost me $94.38. So, Tim, we were far off. $100 seems like a reasonable I wasn't off. Yeah. Ha <laughs> ha. It's crazy. 
now I understand why my parents were always so like confused. Like, I'm not gonna pay sixty dollars to buy you a game. Are you insane? No. And I look back and I'm like, why weren't they? Why were they so cheap? It's just sixty bucks. But yeah, <laughs> back then it would have been like a hundred bucks them. So yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know why the price of games for the consumer hasn't gone up over the years. I guess someone just decided, you know, all these publishers kind of looked at each other, waiting for someone to be the first one to step up and be like. Well, shit, I don't want to be the first one to step up and look like an asshole. So everyone was just waiting for the first one to make the move. And no one did it. So nothing ever changed. I I don't know. Like, do you think that's just because the industry is still, like, kind of young-ish? And it took time for, like, people to get invested in it, invested into it and for money to pour in for us to be like, well, hang on. We need to, like, change this. Yeah. Also keep in mind that video games is the most profitable entertainment uh, medium, I believe, like like more so than like mm-hmm. movies and TVs and all that stuff. It makes hundreds of billions of dollars. So with that fact alone, people are like, why do I need to pay more? They're getting hundreds of billions of dollars. They don't need my money. And Yeah, but nobody ever talks about how it's hundreds of millions of dollars to produce games yeah. <laughs> and develop games. So, yeah. So, yeah, it... To answer the question, simply, yes, games should cost more than consumer. However, they're not going to. It, that price is never going to budge unless something drastic happens. Uh, I, I think it'll I, budge. I, I, yeah. I, I was going to bring up, and th- this is just something I kind of thought of right now, but I think a lot of it has to do with Nintendo. Because you look at Nintendo games, and this isn't, you know, I'm, this is not on Nintendo games. Like, I love Nintendo games, but they clearly do not have the production standards as a Sony game or a Microsoft game, you know, like the, the, nowhere near as detailed. They're, they're nowhere near as on the graphics. No. Right. And I think a lot of money goes into producing, you know, the very high quality graphics and, and all that stuff, the AI and all that stuff. Nintendo games are always kind of basic. I mean, there's a charm to that for sure. And, and there's always going to be a market for that. People are always going to enjoy that. But the cost that Nintendo puts into game development clearly, or at least from what I can see, it's not as much as what Sony and Xbox game studios pour into their games. Probably. You know? Oh yeah. You're right about that. Um, but I think all that proves is that these Sony and Microsoft could be successful if they weren't so focused on making the most realistic-looking game possible. Uh, yeah. I, I think with a game like Last of Us Part Two, you need to have that realism factor with the graphics because that helps connect you more to the character, I guess. But people can still be yeah. connected to uh, characters that like look like Link or, or Mario. Well, not Mario. Mario doesn't do anything dramatic or anything like that. But they, they don't need to look like people for you to have a emotional connection to them. Look at Undertale. Look at Undertale, yeah. <laughs> look, at, look at Sans. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Uh, it, it all comes down to presentation, and I think Sony and Microsoft got a little bit too caught up in the whole, like, make it look as realistic as possible, because that's going... Because the more realistic it looks, the more that's hard evidence that we're doing better than last year. That things are... Yeah. Our, our tech is progressing more rapidly. And they need something that's easy to look like side by side comparison. Whereas Nintendo is just like, you know, things look cleaner, 
There's not as many jaggies on the character models. Look, we got 50 characters on screen this time versus like 20 last year. What do you care? Yeah, I think I think Nintendo goes out of out of its way to reduce its production costs every year. Yeah, you know, like even Breath of the Wild. I mean, it was clearly a step up from Skyward Sword and mm-hmm. what have you, but it wasn't like the most robust open world game ever made. I mean, like if you look at something like Breath of the Wild and you compare it to like something like The Witcher Three, come on, <laughs> you yeah. know, like. Like, I, I get it. I get it. I get the praise. Breath of the Wild does a lot of stuff that gives you a lot of liberty and freedom to do whatever you want. That's very nice. But in terms of, like, the NPCs, in terms of just the creatures roaming around, the AI, et cetera, et cetera, there's really no comparison. And... I was going to say, like, it, yeah, with, like, Witcher 3, it's, like, the world depth. Like, how much foliage is around, how... How many yeah. characters are around and all this stuff. Like, you know, Breath of the Wild, I love that game. It's a lot of fun, but it is pretty empty. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very basic, as I said before. and That's not a knock on it. it, it it's still a great game. I haven't played it, but I I, I, I believe everyone that says it, you uh-huh. know, and, and I, I, I don't have any doubts about that, but Nintendo's pretty smart about not, you know, it does raise its production costs with every generation, seemingly, but it keeps it at a minimum, or at least at a minimum compared to Sony and Microsoft, who just kind of pour a lot of money, it seems like, into every generation. It'll be interesting to see with next gen, tying it back to the question, because next gen doesn't seem as big as a leap uh, as prior yeah. generations. I, I don't know if there's, I think we've touched upon that before, but I don't think it's like, whoosh. You know, yeah. even even like PS3 to PS4, like that was like a little bit more noticeable. I think PS4 to PS5 is less noticeable than that. Um, I, I, it would be interesting to see like if the sixty dollar cost would be able to sustain it, um, because I don't know what they'll do from a te- technological standpoint that would be even more impressive than what they do now. You know, like mm-hmm. it's already so impressive. I, the only thing I can think of is maybe 4K stuff. You know, yeah. But other than that, I, I don't see how else they can evolve. You know, it, it's the games industry has sort of backed itself into a corner, more or less, with the whole sixty dollars thing. Um, I don't think the industry is going to collapse under its own weight if it doesn't increase the price from sixty to a hundred dollars. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the quality of games is going to decrease over time just because they have to put their have less budgets. I don't think that's going to happen either. I think games will just be just fine. Hell, even if if the AAA games industry does collapse completely, gaming will be just fine. It's still got indie games. There's like amazing indie games that get made, and they don't take hundreds of millions of dollars to make. So it, it, it's a weird, it's a unique situation that the price of games have not gone up, even though the cost to produce them has gone up drastically each generation. But I, I think it, it is what it is, and I think the industry and the players are going to be fine, uh, whether you increase the cost or not. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll never see a crash like we did, uh, you know, back then. I forgot the year exactly when Nintendo saved the gaming industry. You uh, know? Well, yeah, we're never going to see that ever again. Yeah, so. That was a different problem. Where Atari and other things were producing way too many games, and there was no quality control. 
Yeah, they're all shitty. Like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Gaming sucks. I don't want to play games. And then I was like, hey, check it out. Mario. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Turtles. And I was like, shit, yeah. Yeah. You, got? yeah. you can throw fireballs. And also, Duck Hunt comes with it. What? Everyone just like crap their pants. I'm like, oh, great. That game is. <laughs> yeah. folks. You read it up. Uh, so yeah, that was our show. Uh, thank you for sticking with us for, uh, our rather robust, but quality show. We had a lot of, a lot of time to it. Um, join us next week. We might have we want to share with you a little special uh, impression. We're going to give our impressions of Genshin Impact's final beta, uh, hopefully, if we can all get our codes. Uh, PS4, possibly PC as well, because there is cross-play for this game. So next week, you might hear our, our, uh, our opinions on that. Uh, as again, if you have any questions or comments for us, email us at timehoppodcast at gmail.com. We might just read it on the air. Uh I want to thank uh, David and Tim for joining me today. Tim, uh, you can find him online, Ryan from King Gamer from time to time. David, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Twitter at Xenocreator125. You can also find me on my website, davidjosephlazada.com. Don't you have a OnlyFans account? Not yet. I'm Not working yet. on it. Okay. I, I'm, I'm working on beating Belle Delphine. Uh, watch out, Bell. Wow, way to try to go after Goliath there, David. Yeah. Hey, my name is David. Oh, man, that works. Oh, what a way to land. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I wasn't even <laughs> I'm happy with that. Um, you can also find me, uh, Ryan for King Gamer for that time. You can also find me on Twitter at Gingerbread. That's D-J-I-N-N-G-E-R underscore bread. Once again, thank you, everyone, for joining us. We will hope to see you next week. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.